0: and we are here oh my God, already. recording and live this is your yearly listen uh for our yearly podcast about buildings and food and we're here to talk about the things we usually talk about which are movies um this episode and we will have another episode soon about music specifically we're talking about the best of 2022 we do these every year and they're always sort of a marathon sprint for us but hopefully Is this it a marathon or a sprint? It's kind of both. It's really really exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> um but these ti- this time, I think we're gonna I think we have the formula down so that it's gonna be less arduous than it has in the past to get these fucking <laughs> conversations done. Um Okay. Fine. we've spent we've there's been multiple times we've spent three hours on an episode like this so that's not happening this time (laughs) um we're gonna keep it we're gonna keep it moving is what we're gonna do right jake my co-host sure what 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 are we shooting for what time i'd like to keep it around 90 minutes sounds good um okay 2022 what a year 2020 finally dying I would say Thank God. 2022, the year the movie, <laughs> the year the movies came back, baby. <gasps> would you agree with that? No, not really. But I, I would agree with it. I'm the one who said it. I think this was a really good year for movies. All things considered. Hey, I, I, I agree. I'm with you. There's a lot of good stuff out there and Jake and I watched a lot of it. If you remember from last year, I, I think I, I could barely put together like five movies I saw from 2021. My favorite was Licorice Pizza. Yeah, was that like 20, still stands. Was it really? Yeah. I tried to remember what it was for you. Yeah. Mine was Drive My Car. Back then, it's changed. I've since seen Memoria. That's number one. Drive My Car. Still number two, though. Mine went Licorice Pizza, and then Dune was my number two, I think. Dune. Dune two coming this year. Dune, uh, but I watched a lot more movies this year. In speaking in twenty twenty two, so I have a list of ten now that I'm I'm relatively confident about, and I feel somewhat, uh, you know, assured. As in, of this in my choices, I've watched the exact same amount as I watched as I watched in total last year, but I added some after we recorded last year. So mm. technically, I'm on a better pace. I watched, let me see, total, I watched 14. That doesn't count, like, any short stuff I'd seen, but whatever. I watched 23. 14 And there's so still what? some that I, some big ones that I have missing here. True. We have, neither one of us. We haven't seen Elvis. We haven't seen Elvis. I can't believe that was the first shit. We haven't seen the Banshees of I Inaishirin. Don't know. The Irish one um which that seems really good i've heard a lot of good things about that movie we'll see yeah i'm not really jumping out to my seat to go watch it but so you know well, if it's, it, on, it's on infield max so is it's, it? you can recline on the couch and, and watch it from the comfort of your home i also have not what else have i not seen rrr rrr true it's one that everybody loves um they both those freaking wacky oh Indians? neither one of us has seen everything everywhere all at once god forbid <laughs> <laughs> that shit ain't happening. I will probably randomly one night watch that movie. <laughs> and you know what? It's probably gonna be fine. It's probably gonna be like, I know it's fine. Okay. The way people talk about it, though, really, really something. Um, mm-hmm. What other big ones? Missing. I don't really know. I can't think of anything. I feel anything like right I, I, got, I got a lot that I saw that I... Would have wanted to see, so I feel I feel pretty comprehensive, yeah, I saw most of the stuff that i I was like really open to see I didn't see the uh Ada movie what's it called broker I didn't see that because I kind of forgot that that existed for a while and it was definitely not screening anywhere near here, yeah, um but that's one I'll probably want to watch in the future because I loved shoplifters um Okay, are there any shout-outs we want to hit? Because uh, we're only well, doing we're doing a list of ten, and as we mentioned already, then, uh, we are well past ten, which is cool. But, so yeah, honorable mentions. Uh, I'll start with the Munsters. <laughs> Alright. <laughs> Rob Zombie's uh, love letter to schlocky, corny, like, Halloween kitsch, and also his wife. Um, I think that's everything he does, though. It is, but... It comes through very lovingly in in this movie. I think it's a lot of fun, and it's it's really good. Actually, <laughs> that one didn't make that didn't even crack my top fifteen. Um, I have decision to leave outside looking in here. Whoa, uh, sort of hasn't stuck with me a whole lot. I'm I'm debating putting the monsters over it. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it's past your top ten, I don't really care what you your ranking is looking like there okay yeah fair enough um yeah park Chan chanwook this is not my favorite of his efforts but it's nice to see him back working in the in the film format again after seven years off when did the Handmaid come out uh 2015 i guess somewhere around there yeah um, he did that tv series didn't he i believe so little drummer girl i think it's been a while and it's nice to have it back um claire denis two movies out this year neither one hits the top 10 which is crazy because she is you know obviously one of the one of the great working directors um stars at noon kind of a a weird movie i don't know if i like really like it a whole lot but it is certainly effective in a claire denis sort of way but in a way that also feels like it doesn't super work a lot of the time um, both sides of the blade is very unorthodox i think for her it's very direct and uh very talky but it's also got you know three amazing actors anchoring the show so it holds up and i thought both sides of the blade was like, was like it's like right outside looking in here on my top 10 but yeah sort of odd i, I would certainly would not have expected if you told me two claire Denis movies are coming out at the start of the year, that I would watch them both, and neither one would be on my top 10. I would have said, Child, you fucking crazy. <laughs> okay. But so it goes. Okay. Any others for you? You feel like saying? Uh, no. Okay. I'll honorable mention Blonde, the most hated movie Wait, of the year. <laughs> it's
1: a good
0: movie I'm never going <laughs> to fucking see. No, Blonde is. Bond is worth watching, because Bond is a pretty fucking crazy movie for a lot of movie reasons, not not for subject matter reasons. Movie Guess reasons. what? Maybe you've heard this one before. The backlash to that movie that did kill it, I think we can pretty confidently say, killed that movie, was uh, mostly uh, bullshit. Um, <laughs> which is a shame, because there's it's a really weird movie that does a lot of really weird shit, but Anaday Armis is fantastic in it i will also honorable mention the batman that's a fun movie it's a it's a long one <laughs> this is the year of yeah, long movies <laughs> there's too many long movies i think <laughs> we need to rein it in a little bit oh this 2023 is not looking any better with that <laughs> uh. but I, I like the batman i like this new direction they're taking it it, it feels more comic booky than nolan's trilogy and, I mean, I didn't watch any of the fucking Justice League shit. Sorry, breaking from the podcast for a moment. Apparently, a close source has relayed word from members of Megalopolis crew that described the set of Copolis film as the smoothest they've worked in some time. I'm sure. The counter-programming is <laughs> underway. So, Megalopolis on on schedule, I can only assume. Movie of the year next year. Um... I think the Batman is good, I, and I think Robert Pattinson is a fun, emo, bitch Batman, and yeah. uh, I like that. So, I, I, there's, I, like, there's, I like that movie. I, I'm excited to see where it goes from here. Hopefully they don't just do fucking Joker again. Make it interesting. Do a different villain. I don't know. Um, and also, shout out to Hustle, the Adam Sandler yep, vehicle. That, now, that's just, a, that's just a sports movie that, if you like sports movies, or if you've been pining for one, we haven't had one in a long time. Then hustle, hustle will scratch that itch all the more if you're a basketball fan and if you care about NBA uh, relationships and drama. Then that movie, that is a movie for you. Uh, if you are a fan of saying, "Wow, they got this player in <laughs> this movie," <laughs> Kenny, Kenny, Kenny Smith Kenny shows the- up for two seconds, and he doesn't play him does he No he does not play he himself. does not play himself. But, Actually he shows up for several scenes. But, but in universe NBA on NBC is t- a show. T- <laughs> That's no, insane. The the <laughs> Adam Sandler songs continues and Hustle is a Hustle is just a enjoyable movie. Who is I think. it? Uh Brad Stevens yep. shows up yep and Mark Jackson like back yep. to back to give some some of the worst wine readings. Yep. They like, are terrible. They're but you know who's great is uh Juancho hernangomez yeah. as beau cruz so Anthony Edwards. as Cruz missile he's he's great in this movie mm-hmm. sandler's great queen latifah's great honestly and you know what i'm gonna say uh this the director's got some chops whoever made hustle <laughs> jeremiah zagar he's got chops man I, i'm excited to see what he does Um, there is no reason that Hustle should have been as good as it was. Yeah, there really isn't. Whenever I saw the LeBron James production company credit, I was like, oh, brother, what the fuck are we doing? (laughs) But, uh, it, it turned out good. Okay, so, on to my top 10. Hustle was just outside my top 10. I have it ranked 11th right now. Alrighty, I will start. Okay. Number 10, Tar. Okay, uh, how do we want to handle this? Because Tar shows up way later in my list. We can wait then. Okay. That's, that's why I offered to start Quick, Do you have any quick thoughts to say about Tar? No, we'll get to them Okay, we'll later. get to them. Uh, so stay tuned for that. All right, I have a light one at number 10. Pinocchio. Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Oh, word. Yeah. The Netflix... Pinocchio. Yeah. No, this movie's, this movie's really sweet. Um it takes place in fascist Italy. I think that's whenever the original story was written, I think, for. Um... No, it doesn't really- I like Del Toro's work a lot. I like his, like, dark fairy tale, tale style that, like, he dips into. Um, he, uh, he doesn't do anything, like, super, super, super bold with this one. It's honestly mostly, like, the animation is unbelievable in this fucking movie. It is- if not for the next movie on my list, like, this is maybe, like, the best-looking movie of the year. Actually, no, Avatars also came out. Different kind of animation, I guess. The stop motion is like incredible in Pinocchio though. Um The story kinda like, you know, it goes some interesting places. Like there's a weird like fascist like You've never seen Pinocchio like this. You kind you really kinda <laughs> there's like a, a a crazy like section sequence in like a fascist youth like training camp that Pinocchio like finds himself in. Um that, like, Christoph Waltz is, like, in charge of, which he needs to stop being cast as Nazi. (laughs) He doesn't deserve it. Poor guy. Um, there's a... It it feels like a movie that Del Toro could have gotten a lot bolder with, I would say. Um, like, gotten a lot weirder. There's moments that are, like, really fucking weird. Like, when Pinocchio dies, uh, he he dies throughout the movie multiple times and comes back, he's, like, resurrected like the afterlife sequences are like really fucking weird and striking with like these strange like human lion lioness like angels like the angel designs in this movie are like fucking crazy um but like there's like hints of like this like really the sort of del toro like imaginative design throughout it it doesn't like go as hard into that as i wish it did if it did then this could be like a really real special movie i think but like as it is it's it's a well-made and really beautiful looking um take on a classic story and there's nothing wrong with it i i enjoyed it i enjoyed watching it it felt a little bit long i will say i was like okay i fucking get it at some point um but no it's good it's worth watching um for sure i would say based on the rest of my list i i mean you know i don't keep up with this shit anymore since i'm 24 but probably the best like family movie of the year pretty easily uh, the monsters, but okay. Uh Pinocchio Clears. Um, the Fablemans. Just kidding. Um yeah, I will not be watching Pinocchio, but I'm glad that some people liked it. It's good. Remember Nightmare Alley? I do. Did you know that movie's like almost three hours long? I did. Crazy. I'm never ever in my life gonna sit down <laughs> to, to watch Guillermo del Toro's Nightmare Alley. I probably won't either. I can I don't know what position I'm going to have to be in in life to <laughs> fucking watch that. Show. Um okay. Are we Yep, we can move on. Are we done with that? Number 9. Number 9, Top Gun Maverick. Oh, I haven't seen this yet. Look, this, oh, this was? is this is a big blind spot actually for me that I missed this year. Yeah, I'd say it's uh probably the best. Uh depending, I guess depends how you think about Avatar. Well, no, I I was gonna say best blockbuster of the year, but Avatar, I think, well, oh, yeah, tops that bad boy. But for a while, this was basically the gold standard of like Hollywood Hollywood filmmaking this year. <laughs> um, I mean, it's just you know Tom Cruise, he's a classicist. Um, he knows what works. He he's been involved in what Mission Impossible fucking he's worked with spielberg a bunch he's done what other fucking like hollywood tentpole shit has he done i mean a a ton throughout the year. it like, feels like you it. mean in his I, career i mean the original top gun right yeah the original top gun he did uh jerry Maguire. he did so he he he's you know been around this block a few times before and it feels this year or heading coming into this year it feels especially like hollywood magic that 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 special sauce that they'd be cooking up out in out in socal mm-hmm. it is just not really working anymore um probably because every movie is just like outsourced to like a vfx lab in like san fernando valley or something like that oh also i'm gonna make a make a decree for this episode let's try not to like bring up our our dislike of like superhero shit (laughs) every chance we can well okay there's not gonna be like a million chances for it here there might be there's gonna be two i know but it's it's so tired at this point to be like yeah i just don't fuck with marvel well it's killing uh, like okay we fuck we all know like it's tired well i mean the point being is that over the past you know decade and a half or so then hollywood filmmaking has dramatically changed shifted focus Both in production and in sort of financial uh, attention, and movies like Top Gun Maverick just really are rarely made anymore. I feel like Mission Impossible is basically the only series that is like ongoing. That Fast and Furious, Fast and Furious too, but that's also kind of leaning more on like the the I don't even know what to describe, how to call it. The it's a not the sort of classicism of, like, Mission Impossible type stuff, and of Top Gun Maverick. Which Top Gun Maverick plays, basically, like... The reason that this isn't higher, that I don't have this above, like, Avatar, is that I think that this is basically just, like, a pretty, like, stock-and-trade Hollywood blockbuster formulaic type thing, right? Like, there there is nothing that happens in this story that is going to surprise you (laughs) one bit. But the beats are i mean sometimes the the biggest pleasure is just watching the the familiar beats be hit just immaculately and that's basically what happens with top gun on top of you know some of the most insane stunt work that has ever been put to film yeah i uh i need to watch this movie this was a this was a big year for i feel like Everybody coming home to Tom Cruise, I think. Mm -hmm. This is a big year, and I think Top Gun Maverick is why. I mean, until a few weeks ago, this was the highest grossing movie of the year. Yeah, true. And you know how it did it? It stayed in fucking theaters. It didn't go right to streaming afterwards. True. True true i i i I wish i watched it in in theaters because i I offered i offered you to fucking come with me i know i was like oh i haven't seen the original top top gun and like you know it's not like i I have no feelings towards the franchise whatsoever the original top gun i mean this is better than the first top gun in basically every single way i think um even though it does pretty much ape the entire story of the original (laughs) i was also not like uh a tom cruise acolyte when this movie came out that took that took that was like a late 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 half of the year development for me but now i'm all in, man he he's he's shown me you know what did it really was uh the fucking that commercial that played during the one football game (laughs) where he just jumps out of the helicopter where that was everything clicked there man i was like I get it. I get Tonkers. This, this is his life. Yeah, this is everything. I, and I admire that so much now. I mean, he's the last like movie star that we're ever gonna have. And and I wish I I wish I saw this movie. I will be definitely be seeing. I will definitely be catching up on and seeing the new Mission Impossible. Yes. In theaters. That's. That's T. They need, to bring, they need to bring back Brian De Palma for, the last one of those. Okay. Anything else for Maverick? Uh, no it's awesome do you think it gets a best picture nod that would be pretty sweet if it did frankly it should win but no yes it does yeah i think so because i mean what the fuck is the oscar field like this here fableman sweep we'll we'll get to that (laughs) (laughs) okay cool um my number nine movie is let's see here mad god by the mad god himself phil Tippett. this is just a cool fucking movie man this is just like a protracted tool music video for 80 minutes or whatever which it feels so long your mileage may vary on that <laughs> yeah this was, i did not love this movie i have it here which interesting pairing with pinocchio because i think these are two these are both stop motion animated movies but Mad God is probably the best looking animation I've ever seen in my life. Straight up, not counting like CG's different. Like this is like real fucking deal animation. This is the this is the the high water mark now. Um, and I don't. There's really no story here. It's sort of just a a vibe piece of like the gnarliest, goopiest shit Excuse that me. like Phil Tippett could think of of and he he's been making this movie for like 20 years or whatever he's been going insane over it yeah um and it (laughs) and it kind of (laughs) shows because it's a lot of like there's a very protracted sequence where like doctors are like ripping like coins and shit out of like a a body during surgery and like there's a lot of dissection and like creatures getting like Squished and liquefied yeah, and a lot of squishing, yeah, a ton of squishing that I love the the diaper, the ones that were the diapers, I like them a lot, um yeah, you would but there's there's just so much like i guess there's really not a story, it's basically about like a cool looking like minor dude who's like basically descending into hell for some reason, <laughs> who knows there's like no dialogue in this movie whatsoever, um. It's just a sort of, like, heavy metal... Not even heavy metal. Like, prog metal, like, album cover brought to life. In, like, a... In the best way, I think. And, uh... It's just fucking cool that this thing exists, I think. Like, that... that Phil Tippett... Phil Tippett, I guess, if you aren't familiar, was, like, is a sort of a special effects, like, legend. Um, he did the what's the robot from RoboCop? RoboCop? No, the other one. The the, the one that the, the one that's taken their jobs. The Ed 209. Ed 209. Like he did the Ed 209 animation design. He did the like a bunch of stuff for Star Wars, like Empire Strikes Back and uh Last Jedi, not Last Jedi, Return of the Jedi. Um and a ton of like very iconic work, like Phil Tippett as produced over the years. Um it's cool that this movie exists and I'm glad that it they just kind of let him do whatever the fuck he wants. <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah. even know who the they is here. This may have been totally like self funded. I wouldn't even be surprised. Like this could just very well have been like a total like garage job. Um produced by Tippet Studio. Alright, so there we go. Okay. So there is no they here. It is all him. Um but I think it's, it's, it's cool that this exists, and it really does look fucking unbelievable for most of the running time. I agree. I'm happy that it exists. I just don't really think it's a very good movie. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. All right. Moving on. Right. Number eight. I have the latest from Mr. Terrence Davies. His, uh, Sir Terrence Davies. Is he actually knighted? I don't know. Um, Benediction. Technically, came out last year, saw wider distribution this year. Doesn't matter. Um, Benediction about uh, Siegfried Sassoon and the sort of early, pre World War Two milieu of uh, British aesthetes that Sassoon was a part of. Um, Terence Davies, of course, one of Britain's great directors um he's getting old now so this is like sort of a late style entry tune into our mm. podcast for more on that um we did not talk about benediction there but um it, it's a really i mean this is Terrence davies not a uh not a humorous filmmaker um, <laughs> his films are often characterized by just just deep loneliness and regret and uh just emotional destruction basically of all 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 sorts um but this is arguably his lightest movie i think well not even arguably like it's it's quite funny like throughout um certainly funnier than any movie that he's made um to this point or at least i've seen i've seen almost i think i've seen all but one of his movies so you know jury's still out technically but okay. benediction versus the field i think i'm taking benediction on that claim it's quite funny i think mostly because of the sort of like algonquin round table-esque like milieu that he's depicting here is naturally uh funny but that is, the humor here is also again a tool to like dig into like the the spiritual just loneliness and emptiness of Existence for all these poets and artists and and uh playwrights and shit like that um there's an interesting sort of digital uh qual- like technique that he uses throughout this that reminded me of all things of fucking speed racer no <laughs> wachowski's where he will have like a digital like an uh like play scenes like in, in person in like foregrounds, with like digitally, uh, inserted backgrounds and things like that. And they often like the back like so. We'll see. There's like a scene. There's like just a crushing like montage at the he, Davies is like the master of the montage. Um, there's a montage at the end of this movie, where Sassoon is. I think just like sitting on a bench and just like basically the entirety of like the history that he has witnessed plays out in front of him, but he like remains on the bench and be, like in the background. In front of him is like uh, old like footage from like World War One and like military huh. like old like archival military British footage. That's that plays out. It is. It's like fat. It's difficult to describe, but it's super fascinating to watch him do it here. The I mean like the sort of trademark stylistic trademark of Davies is like these long dissolves through like montage, um, and it's a really fascinating way to translate that sort of like filmic dissolve into like specific like idiosyncratically digital terms. I the way that I think you can describe it, at least I'm working off of Speed Racer because I I know how what you're describing. It's almost like collage work. Uh, uh, like, of the the foregrounded focus character with a sort of discrete but simultaneously occurring, like, action behind them. Like, in some, or not even behind them, but in some space around them. Like, to me, I feel like, it is a really unique sort of, like, image, but, like, well, it, not super far off from, like, collage work, I think. Uh, I guess so, but the difference is, like, in the, like, sort of the time, like, the duration, the way that it, play, it plays out over time. It's like if you, like, have, like, a projector playing, like, a video on, like, a screen here but then you have, like, somebody standing in front of the light and obscuring part of it. That's, like, sort of what it feels like, except instead of, like, a shadow, then it's, like, a defined subject. Mm. It's fascinating, but it's a great movie. It's uh, also deeply, uh, (laughs) deeply affecting. Cool. I've never seen a Terrence Davies movie. He's a boss. All right, my number eight movie, The Northmen robert Word. eggers the northman Robert eggers hamlet aka the Northman this movie is just so okay if you know Hamlet, you know how this 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 movie's not doing anything different than hamlet um story wise so you're coming here for the the spectacle that Eggers puts together, which for me i liked it quite a lot I liked a lot of the spectacle had to offer is a lot of uh just wired and rippling viking men just murdering each other brutally um with like weird dashes of like supernatural uh sort of occurrences i wish there was more of that um like there was the one scene where he's in the like underground and he fights the like fucking like skeleton guy like <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah like, I wish there was more of that shit. Like... They're, like, Elder Scrolls.
1: Like, yeah, dude.
0: <laughs> yeah, man. This seems. This is kind... This movie is just kind of, like... Like, a 13-year-old boy's, like, wet dream of, like, what a movie should be. Where it's just, like, badass, like, warriors killing each other. And, and uh... Amelith has, like, sex with Anya Taylor-Joy, and they... And he fucking kills his uncle in front of a volcano or whatever. Like, it's it's just kind of all of that. But for me, it was a, a lot of the movie I was like, holy shit, man. <laughs> like, just kind of that, like, ongoing reaction. I, uh, I thought I had higher expectations for this movie, to be honest. Because I do, I really like Robert Eggers work a lot and i'm really excited to see what else he makes in his career i know he, he's he got that nosferatu movie coming which uh pinned to the calendar whenever that release date is announced um because i like i really love the lighthouse um and i think he's one of the more exciting like young directors currently out there so i w- was pretty stoked about this and it definitely kind of came up short mainly because narratively there's just like like what the fuck is anybody talking about at any point in this <laughs> goddamn movie? <laughs> like it's just, it is just a whole lot of nonsense for most of the time. Um, but it is, it is, and also it is probably gonna be the last time he's ever given a budget because this movie did not make money. Um, but that's fine. The first, the first of the flops. That's totally fine. I if he's a, he could be a guy. He's shown that he can work within restraints very well, in my opinion. Um. So he doesn't need to be a blockbuster director, in fact, I would prefer him not to be, but uh no, this movie is just sort of like a pure testosterone like adrenaline rush the whole time, and I liked it um i had it's probably my least favorite of his works, though yeah, pretty comfortably. I had this at the bottom of my year list, <laughs> oh really oh yeah i liked i like liked it in a sort of like zone out way, yeah, watching it but just thinking back to it over the year then i was like what the fuck even like (laughs) like what was there to even take away from this like i think that there's kind of like one really good scene here with the the raid at the beginning when they throw like all the like children in the house and set it on fire whenever he catches the spear Oh my god. Uh I guess yeah, I guess that's when that happened. That was awesome. that scene is fantastic. And I wish that the whole movie was operating on that sort of register. It feels like it's so I don't know, like reined in. I think this is a movie that suffers. Restrained. It it needs less restraint to it. I think this is a movie that did definitely suffer from like a lot of like studio interference. Um I, I, I remember hearing about from that. From what I remember, like in the lead up to this, that like this got sort of cut to hell. Um, so I would really like to see a director's cut and see what the hell Eggers really fucking put out there with this. But, yeah. I'm not, I mean, like, I would too, but one, I would probably actually just not watch that. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's too many movies to watch. I'm not going to go back to a movie I didn't really like all that much <laughs> to see if I like it better. Sure. Um, two, it feels like like Eggers is not a guy who so far across three movies has really shown a penchant for the kind of like unhinged uh media that something like this sort of begs to have he has a he is a director who plays more in uh restraint I think he does that well, but yeah, I think it's fair when the film asks for it then. Or when the film doesn't ask for it, then it feels like a mismatch between style and content. Anyway, regardless, still excited for Nosferatu. Yeah, I would watch that. Alright, number seven here, I have Jackass Forever. That's, whoa, man, what? The top of this list here is pretty, pretty damn good. Well, do you, okay, do you want to get into Jackass now or later? How much later are we talking? A few picks later. We can wait, okay, fair enough, uh, so Jackass forever, Jake's number seven, my number seven is barbarian. this one, this one, let's see, excluding my number one. this is a movie that completely came out of nowhere this year, yeah, it just did. sort of emerged word of mouth style on social media. I saw people talking about it and being like, "Holy shit, this movie's fucking awesome." and i saw then some people i follow in letterbox start seeing it and be like holy shit this is awesome and then i was like oh you know what i need to go see this movie and barbarian is awesome i think (laughs) it is let's see i guess depending how you define crimes of the future barbarian is definitely my favorite horror movie of the year by a wide margin there was no... I don't know if I saw any other horror movies from this. All right. <laughs> but it would that be would regardless. Uh, I would have a hard time seeing something topping this. Because it is, this is just such a fun movie, man. The... If you're not familiar, it's about a woman stays at an Airbnb in outside... Or in, like, a Detroit slum. There's a mix-up there. There's a guy already there. And... In her time staying there, they discover some uh, freak shit in the basement that uh, threatens their wives and is all kinds of nasty. And Justin Wong comes in as the Airbnb owner and is just an awesome shithead the whole time. <laughs> Justin Wong is so fucking good in this movie. He's, it's crazy, dude. He's goat, absolute goat fucking status. Um, it is. Uh, it's such a fun movie, man. Like... One of those movies that, like, this gets said a lot, I feel like, and maybe not deservedly, but this is definitely a case where you don't want to really know anything going in, because there's a, the, I guess, okay, w- w- spoilers for everything we're talking about here, like, you know, we're not going to hold back, but, like, when a- Alexander Skarsgård character gets just, like, skull-fucked <laughs> against the wall... <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, it plays with your expectations in, like, a really clever way, I think. Like, the director is Zach Kreger, who, fun fact, is from The Whitest Kids You Know. Um, This is his debut film. And it plays with your expectations, like, all throughout. Like, it starts out, and you're like, oh, well, this dude is clearly, like, a psycho or something like that. And then it subverts that, and he's actually just sort of a normal, like, really nice dude who's just being nice to this lady. Uh, and then, you go, they go downstairs, and it's like, oh, there's clearly, like, a fucking, like, killer down here, or something like that. And it's like, oh, no. Well, there is, but it's, like, a big naked lady who also, like, just tries to be everybody's mom and breastfeed everybody, but also kills everybody. And then you're like, oh, well, I guess these are our protagonists, and then one of them gets killed, like, 30 minutes in, and we flip to a totally new character who somehow gets tied up in everything like it flips your expectations a lot like it subverts a lot of expectations throughout and i appreciated that as a fan of horror movies and also it's really funny this is like outside of like jackass forever like this is probably the funniest movie of the year honestly um and also yeah awesome uh hard cut to black ending i thought um No, this movie just does a lot of cool shit. Zack Krager sort of came out of again, came out of nowhere, didn't even hear anything about it until it had already come out, and I saw this movie twice this year actually. Um, Wow. And it's still just as good. Still just as good. Yeah, I like this one a lot. It's fun. Reminds me of uh, the the weird um, monster. Reminds me of like a PC indie horror game from like the <laughs> 2010s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. I, I Barbarian's really good. I I like Barbarian a lot. Feels like a future like midnight movie sorta of classic. Mm. Alright. Moving on. Number six. Number six. I have EO. Bye. You have what? EO. EO, okay. Bye. Forgive me for the pronunciation. Forgive me, God. <laughs> uh, Jersey Skolmowski. He made a deep end. Yes, he did. He is an old-ass Polish guy who's been kicking around for a long, long time. Um, this is the donkey movie, isn't it? It is the donkey movie, Zach. Uh, it's really great, I think. Um, there's an obvious sort of... It's obviously playing on uh, Balthazar, the uh, Bresson movie from the 60s. I haven't seen it, so I can't tell you exactly how it's doing that. But the parallels are You're a film major and you haven't seen Balthazar? I'm doing that about
1: everything. (laughs) 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 (laughs)
0: Pissing me off. (laughs) Um, No, I haven't seen Balthazar, so I do not know exactly how this movie is sort of like in communication with that, um, but there's a, uh, interesting, I mean, like, I know, what I understand about Balthazar is that, like, you know, he is a, it's weird to refer to a donkey as, like, he, um, from, like, an old movie, (laughs) Um, but Balthazar in Bersama's movie is essentially a, a metaphor for human suffering or humans ability or capabilities of like inflicting suffering. Damn. Um at least that's the extent to which I understand it. Um and EO is I think does something a lot more interesting not to, you know, shit on Brisson here, but um <laughs> just digging my own fucking grave here. <laughs> Uh EO does something I think a lot more challenging when we say that instead of interesting. A lot more challenging by positioning EO, the donkey, not as like a sort of metaphor for human uh, subjectivity, so much as uh, trying to convey animal subjectivity through human technological means. Um, That's a hard thing to articulate further but i was gonna say i don't know if i quite understand there's just in the way that this movie is like structured like eo it's almost like i don't know it feels like eo just like basically bounces around from like one movie to another throughout this um he gets you know attacked by like soccer hooligans at one scene and, and next then he's getting rescued by like elapsed like priest who is like has a weird maybe incestuous incestuous relationship with his mom played by Isabella Hoppert um whoa and then but Eo is just like sort of the 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 point of reference throughout all of this stuff and because everything is like framed through his perspective then everything like human sort of the human world is sort of reflected, sort of in the alien way that, like, animal, the animal world would normally be. Um, and there, like, you know, on top of like stylistic tricks to try and convey, like, Eos, like an animal subjectivity. Um, there's one scene at the towards the beginning where he like first like breaks out of like whatever uh like farm little farm that he's like hanging out at that he's like he gets like bailed out of like a circus because it's like illegal to whatever the circus is doing is illegal under some new law and he gets sent to like a little farm and then he escapes from the farm and is like traveling through the woods at night and it's this like harrowing like journey through it like completely like unmapped darkness and forest and there's these loud like gunshots that start like ringing out at one point and drone cinematography takes over and we start like flying like really low to the ground across this like creek and then like really high in the air and everything's like fucking red and there's this windmill and the camera just like starts rotating like 360 degrees in in like a the windmill pace it's so it's fucking wild but it's like something that is like obviously like, oh, we are like beyond like the sort of human, uh, a perception of the world, here, and it. I mean, like I think it's a really interesting idea that Skalimovsky is using is like approaching here that like these advanced technology that we we have cinematically can be used to develop a cinema that is like not necessarily restrained by human perception
1: Mm.
0: and there's like there's a moment where like a robotic dog like a boston dynamics dog is like paralleled with eo the donkey so this like instead of like a a further separation between like natural like animalistic world and technology what what's being sort of proposed here is that these are both these are more similar to each other than either one is to a human kind of understanding of the world that sounds really fucking cool actually (laughs) it's an awesome movie um and it's also like a movie about an animal that is you know goes through some trials and tribulations that's not a huge bummer
1: which i which i like a lot that's good yeah
0: the... I know that Balthazar is a huge bummer. <laughs> so uh, Yeah, I think we all know. That's kind. Of, that's kind of what has been keeping me from watching that movie. <laughs> I don't want to be fucked up. It's too bad. Um How is the animal acting in Eo? Look, that donkey I think they only use one donkey throughout it. Damn. It's a star. Yeah, he's got some very expressive eyes. Just what you what do you want out of an actor? Um no yeah, EO is awesome. Skolomovsky Check him out. He's working on Roman Polanski's new movie. Oh, good for him getting work. <laughs> I know you're going to say, I think he has a thing on Criterion channel right now. He does, actually. I want to see Deep End, mainly because of the can song, Mother Sky. Have you ever heard that? Nope. That is a song right there. But I've seen the scene from Deep End that uses that song, and I'm like all right i think i'd I'd fuck with this also apparently that's one of david lynch's favorite movies so okay eo jake's number six for 2022 leave your humanity behind and we'll continue that theme with my number six wow what a segue crimes of the future by david cronenberg all right are we holding it? Uh, yeah, I think we're winning it. Okay, we're holding <laughs> it. But that was a great segue. I think we we should all acknowledge well, that. Well look, I thought you were gonna go with my number five here. Oh? Avatar the Way of Water. Well, if you hold on to that for Fuck. like <laughs> Once more, I don't have any segue for this, but my number five is Decision to Leave by Park Chan Wook. Alright. So let's talk about it. Okay. I like this movie a hell of a lot. I like this movie too. I and I'm not. I've seen one Park movie beyond this, which was Old Boy, and I. It's I well known. Him. I am not a big Old Boy fan. Is that well known? I say it all the time. Yep. I tell everybody I meet. He says. I'm not a big fan of Park Chan Wook's Old Boy. These Koreans are up to some nasty fucking shit. Um, they say that was his daughter. And you guys like that? <laughs> um, <laughs> no. This is the sec. I do love Korean movies, but this is the only, only the second of Park Chan movies I've seen. And let me tell you, I'm going to challenge you on that claim earlier or later. What, that I like Korean movies? Yes. I do like Korean movies. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll fucking wait, okay? <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> this movie is just, I, I swoon for this movie. Decision to leave. It's so swoon is such a such a good word to use there because I wish there was more fucking swooning in this movie. I think there's so much swooning it feels in this movie. So I mean, like I I guess I'm coming to this with the of seeing almost all of Parks movies prior to getting around to this one, and it feels so like again like like the Northman like we're like restrained. I think that's emotionally. That's what swooning did that's what did it for me it it, it swoons in the same way in the mood for love swoons no yes (laughs) no fucking way yes of these connections that are so close to happening (laughs) but they don't in this case in the mood for love is a better movie I'm not suggesting you know anything with that but but I think that's actually a useful point of reference for the main relationship dynamic here between Park hay il is that his name can you I don't know and Tang Wei, the female lead, she's amazing. He's amazing in this. Um, That's kind of a good reference, though, I think, for the relationship, because she is suspected of homicide more than once in this movie, Um, and he is a detective who sort of finds himself obsessed with this woman uh, during his investigation of the case. I will say I don't think this movie does anything, like, it It doesn't reach any, go any places that I'm like, holy shit, like, this is really fucking powerful shit right now, but it just does everything so, so well, like, it's, it's, it's genre work of, you know, police procedural and, you know, a sort of Hitchcockian, like, romance, um, and it's sort of melded together, into just this impeccably made product. Like, I cannot believe how Park Chan would fucking film this movie, man. It This has the most, for the most directing award, this movie wins it. Or Avatar, maybe it does. But this one has, we get fades, we get uh, wipes, transitions, we get the, like, camera from inside the fucking cell phone as he's watching the like the 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 text incoming bubbles i that shot amazing we get the i still don't know if it was a split diopter in the one (laughs) inner interrogation scene like there are so many like i mean say what you will like maybe it's all sort of just exists in a sort of formalistic aesthetic realm but there's so much here to like just get so like wrapped up and be like all right this is a movie dude like not to do the harry Styles thing but this is a fucking movie and it reminds you that constantly because park Mook is pulling out all the fucking tricks here it feels like he is just in his bag from the beginning and it is it is awesome to see it doesn't for me it doesn't need look if if it if it made it to like a more profound conclusion of ideas or themes this would be maybe my number one but it doesn't, and so it's my number five. But, okay. <laughs> like, for what it is, it's so, 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 so well-made. And so, like, just seductive, I think, is, like, a great word for how I feel about it. Like, the romance in it, like, the or the main romance is so, like, just taboo enough to be, like, this is kind of fucked up, but also, like, just, like, on the verge of happening and not happening, like it's a it's really it's a really great movie, I think the sequence where he recreates the murder one of the best scenes of the year if I can offer the the counter opinion here the, like the super go ahead stuff. i- re- i like this movie a lot i should say i should you know put up out front there so i don't you know i'm not like being a hang ass hater on this I like park a lot but the point of reference for me for this movie is vertigo. Pretty obviously, too, and what makes vertigo so i mean like one of many things that makes vertigo so enduring is that it is about not only like getting it getting too close to your obsession but like close enough to like touch it and decision to leave never like gets that close no, it doesn't, and like that's what it that's what we need here, like we need this detective and this woman to. Have some sort of like illicit romantic gesture between each other. It's all kept at such a. They have a kiss. They have such, a kiss near the end. Yeah, but then by that point, it's all like tied up. Anyway, like it, it's kept at too much of a remove from the the emotional fireworks that we want to see. It feels like it never, never it gets, it gets it set gets off right like, there. Yeah, and like I like I appreciate the the impulse to like what's happening out there keep it down we yeah, were talking i appreciate the impulse of like not giving your audience like what they want of like keep keeping them like on like you know for lack of a better term of like edging them basically yeah like, yeah for the <laughs> entire movie but like i don't think that this is i don't think park that that's the strength of park park is like at his best i think when he's like overly indulgent in the sort of big stylistic emotional gestures um the hell is this guy fucking yelling about well this is definitely indulgent in the stylistic gestures um yes and i loved it i i did love this movie a lot I, I, i i i hear what you're saying but i also think i wonder if part of that is hurt from the point of reference you're coming at it from maybe but like or, or maybe like if, it's if just like a if you're approaching of... it from in the mood for love i wonder if you'd have a more be more impressed with it or or if it would if it would work more for you i don't i don't know I, i'm not suggesting one thing or another um i just minute to minute there were a few other movies this year where i was just constantly like fucking blown away by this the way i was with this and it's like i mean the other one would be uh avatar probably (laughs) Um, or like jackass forever frankly um but like this is like such a comparatively simple like movie compared to like something like avatar um but it's just park pulls everything he can he he is so in his bag on this like it's it's awesome to see um okay that was number five for me decision to leave all right so, number four, is that where I'm at? I think that's where you're at. All right, here we have We're All Going to the World's Fair, ooh, by Dr. Jane Schoenbrunn. One of those, you know, Central European-style names. Unfamiliar to my tongue, but... <laughs> um. Anyway, so We're All Going to the World's Fair <laughs> <laughs> premiered at, uh, I think, Sundance last year or in 2021 but didn't get you know theatrical distribution until earlier in 2022. The only thing I know about this movie Alex G made the soundtrack. Alex G did make the soundtrack. How is it? I thought it was really good. Okay. He's um, my boy. We'll get to him in a later episode. <laughs> but this movie sort of s- sets itself up as and I don't know if this is to its own detriment or not. Um, I think I saw it in an almost empty theater i think there's one older guy there and a guy and a girl who i think were clearly on a date so maybe to their detriment they were expecting something a little different but it sets itself up as um, <laughs> a sort of like creepy pasta found footed like we see like we've seen movies like this come out recently like unfriended um right yeah you know various movies that use you know the computer screen as kind of a medium for to for like horror um found footage type stuff uh yeah like uh it's about like a uh the world's fair in the title is like a sort of online ARG type thing creepy pasta scp what have you type of game where users people will just like will i forget what the trigger is for it the quote-unquote trigger is for it um you have to like say something on like some web page and then there's like this whole network of people that have that are like playing this game online and they're like documenting the supposedly after like performing this trigger then like your body starts to like your body and mind starts to change in sort of scary and unpredictable ways. And there's, like, a whole network of people online that are, like, documenting these changes. They're uploading YouTube videos. Wow, this sounds like a metaphor. Uh, It's not really. Oh, interesting, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, there's a whole bunch of people that are, like, taking videos of themselves. They're, like, posting on Instagram and shit of, like, you know. there's a, One of the videos is actually, like, really cool where a guy is like pulling like like movie tickets out of like his arm like a sweat in his arm um and shit like that it's like it's a you know film twitter be like (laughs) um it's like a reddit like a subreddit type thing right i guess i've referenced creepypasta fucking four times already but it's like that like a sort of community grown horror interactive thing interactive story that is going on and the movie is sort of the what the movie i guess the presupposition that you enter the theater to see this movie with is like oh this this might be real and like the big question is like is this world's fair thing actually like real like is this transforming people's bodies is this our main character played by anna cobb who i think is this might be her first acting role she is terrific in this movie um her character is named Casey is like Casey actually undergoing these real transformative effects because like after she does it then the only sort of things or most of the things that we see there's like some objective camera um setups but most of it is like from like her webcams from her phone cameras and stuff of her documenting like these supposed changes that are taking place to her after the world's fair um and it, it mostly it seems to be taking the place of just like psychological uh you know a psychological breakdown and the question you know for probably the first half of this movie is like, oh is this like real is this is this, like a placebo thing you know what's going on um and then it, it uh <laughs> it becomes this movie is not very scary is the thing here Uh, because it becomes a really sort of piercing study of just like online loneliness and like there's a late movie twist that occurs where there's or this isn't that way this is about halfway through somebody else that is involved with this game online reaches out to her who's like he's an older man um he's married he has like a job and shit and he like messages her one day he's like you know here's some advice for how to deal with the world's fair he's like playing this role as like a guide through this the effects of this game and their relationship is like like you know fundamentally is sort of tense because of you know an older man talking to like a 12 year old girl online is like not is not a comfortable thing to kind of sit with for a long time um so that introduces a whole new ambiguity to it and eventually it the whole movie comes to a head with like this interaction between the two of them where he's like he like drops the persona he's like are you like for real are you okay like cuz she is like exhibiting basically like suicidal tendencies and stuff in these like diaries that she's take, she's recording of herself of reacting to the world's fair and he like drops he like drops it and he's like, I'm like here if you need help. And then she is like, she like freaks out. She's like, I'm still in the game, and the relationship just collapses between them. And so it becomes this the whole mo- the movie then becomes this like really fascinating and like kind of stomach turning study of like online performance because then like even after the end of the movie then it's still unclear if like. Is she like actually just like like is this like actually a cry for help for from her that she doesn't even realize or is she like literally just performing the whole time? And like we never get an answer on that. And I just like I find the way that this the stylistic decisions here to like reinforce to like it's like a very careful balance between objective and subjective uh viewpoints here. And the way that like ambiguity is played with all throughout the tension that comes out of that and not not even like a horror movie way, but in just like a like kids online way is like so like it's unreal. Like, I I feel like I've never seen a movie that understands the Internet in the way that this movie does.
1: Hmm.
0: How old is the director? Uh, they are like in their wait 20s okay they this is their first feature movie so the, I was gonna they have say, a new one coming out next year supposedly i was gonna say so like so, something like yes. what you're saying yeah. sounds like someone who would have grown up with yes the internet. this is a person who clearly is familiar with yeah like online the creepy pastas and the like youtube rabbit holes i mean just yeah online communities like yeah. this is just what happens on them there's one like great scene where casey is just like out in a, in like her family shed which like i mean like this scene is also crucial in establishing the tension later in the movie because she like just like finds or she like messes around with like her dad's gun out in the shed and it's like oh okay like you know Chekhov knocking on the door there (laughs) um that never ends up coming back but then she just like starts playing like youtube videos on like the projector in the shed there and just like lets it roll on autoplay and the scene lasts for like you know 15 minutes it's a very slowly paced movie like kind of kind of, i don't want to call it like slow cinema but it's like playing in that kind of stylistic register um i think that the reaction to this has been very polarizing this movie has why, it why do you think that is i guess maybe you don't even realize that i not you can't it. really offer well I, <laughs> I mean like i know that like some people i follow on in boxed were not as impressed with it as i was some of them were i've heard just just through like social media some people i follow who like you know have seen this throughout the year reference it or like i've seen some people say like this is like the worst fucking movie of the year like this movie is so bad like i guess do you have any thoughts on that or i don't know i mean like because it's not a horror movie is the thing and it feels like it's possibly marketed as a horror movie Like you go in expecting to be you know unfriended to be fucking scared by you know computer screens being taken over by demons or whatever and there's like maybe one jump scare in the whole movie the rest is just like atmosphere like building like this midwest emo atmosphere through like the alex g music through like the you know casey's you know just like walking around the woods in like the winter and shit taking videos of like little creeks and waterfalls and calling them stupid and stuff like that like it, it's it doesn't fit it feels like it should fit in like a genre wheelhouse and it really doesn't okay
1: Interesting.
0: and I, I feel like if you head in with that expectation then you'll be and inevitably be disappointed of like which is why i think that the the guy and girl that i saw in in the, the movie with in theaters was a, were probably expecting like a horror movie like date movie type thing yeah uh and they <laughs> okay. got something a lot more uh relaxed but also maybe a lot more deeply spiritually upsetting (laughs) that's funny okay that's your number four yes it was number one for for a hot minute wow all right my number four here we go avatar the way of water okay by big jim himself came back single-handedly saved movies just kidding this is one of the later movies of the year movies were already saved by the time this came out this movie is better than the first avatar in every conceivable way and is one of the best blockbusters i've seen in years boom there it is put it on the put that on the dvd case put that in the in the commercial straight up i don't know how the fuck james cameron pulled this one off folks but i was a fool for doubting him it's it's an incredible piece of invention where was this on your list Number five, number five. So right okay, below. same territory. where I just talked about. This movie is unbelievable. It is so 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 good that I have a hard time understanding how it was made. <laughs> my my conventional knowledge, which is you know relatively limited, of how movies are made, does not work with this one. It is fully uh, a miracle <laughs> what James Cameron made here. Yeah it's pretty incredible like all around i said i was talking about top gun maverick earlier and this is like i think that there's a credible argument to make that avatar in 2009 has sort of put us down the road that we are currently on with like hollywood and like theatrical exhibition and distribution and things like that where we're not in a good place (laughs) um industry-wide um but damn if Avatar <laughs> 2 is not a fucking the thing is Avatar 2 is like as good of an argument in favor of the theatrical experience oh, as absolutely. anything that came out this year probably last year you know I mean in a long time <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> it's probably the first Avatar I mean to be yeah honest. like this is a movie this is a movie you see in IMAX 3D like whenever you can like I saw it the Monday after New Year's, and it was a completely packed theater. Like, I don't know if that's just, like, a popular movie-going day. I know that is, like, an observed holiday, so maybe. But it was, it was at like, 3 in the afternoon, and it was a completely packed movie theater. It was for the 3D IMAX. And it was a out-of-body experience, specifically when they went underwater. <laughs> um, which is, like, 75%. Yeah, it. like, it is... I don't know how like it's just I I didn't buy I don't love the first Avatar. I think it's fine. There's been some revisionism. There has been and I don't buy I haven't bought into that to be perfectly honest. Thanks, Chapo guys and dirtbag <laughs> left influencers. Bernie bros. Yeah. No, there has been revisionism in a few in the past few years that being like actually Avatar was like a really like, you know, good movie for whatever reasons they have. I don't buy it. I, I haven't bought that honestly. I I I've, I resist that that attempt at rewriting history, but this one, I think retrospectively it, it Avatar is a lot better than maybe what I or you felt at the time when we when we watched it, you know, probably in 2010. I think I I mean right. I can appreciate what it like its technological elements well, better it's, now. It's technologically it's incredible and also just as like a fucking movie. It like it, like it's a movie right i mean like it, it's, not, is. it's not this is not like a cult like an ip yeah like to be fucking sold on like a fucking tv series yeah later no. like avatar is a movie ass movie and a lot of the uh big tentpole blockbusters that have come out since then are really try- are trying to be like brands yeah avatar is avatar at the time was not yeah i i I have nothing but respect for the first Avatar, <laughs> and that has only grown- It almost bit. won Best Picture. It, yeah, it did. Um, and now the sequel will. But the sequel, I mean, the sequel is better in every single possible way. Yes. Like, whatever your your feelings on the original Avatar are, like, I will fully guarantee that this movie is better in every single way. Yes. It- made me care about the characters look <laughs> i i said earlier about top gun that sometimes the pleasure of a movie is just watching it well-worn beats get hit oh per, per, like nobody's perfectly. doing it like james james, Cam- james cameron, cameron is the king of hitting fucking hitting those uh, those like worn down fucking tried and true story beats of a hollywood movie of just knocking that shit out of the park man it is a master at work here in every sense of the word. From I would say my only my only real issue with this movie is the be the first act is very rushed, I think. And there's just a lot of exposition. (laughs) (laughs) The exposition, I don't really mind. Like I don't they they spend maybe ten minutes and they're like, Yeah, Jake Sully has like four fucking kids now. We got Jake Sully with his whole ass family that grows up and there's Spider ten minutes. There's Spider here. Korich is back. Yeah, and the Marines are reborn as Avatars now. Yeah. (laughs) And There's and there's a miraculous child somewhere who is part of the family too and like I don't mind running through like info dumping that one in the first ten minutes. It's just the first act I think for narrative reasons also feels rushed like the exposition's fine whatever i get it there's a lot to get through and i'd rather they <laughs> i'd rather they sprint through that shit immediately yes um but the plot in the first act i think is rushed like i don't know um that's like my only real thing because after that then it's like james james cameron master class of the second act is like when the the sullies go to the met uh village i'm not going to remember any of these specialized nouns um they well they leave their you know their their navi tribe the tree people basically um because they're a, th- a threat they know the marines are gonna the sky people are gonna be hunting them and they don't want to put their their family at risk so they exile themselves go to the water the island folk who i believe are the Metcaina and have to learn their ways because they're a different the way of water they're a different species basically they have they're different flat culture, tails right? and webbed hands and mm-hmm. they what the navi what jake sully and Neytiri are for the trees and you know the, the birds and shit these people are for the water and aquatic life um and so they have to you know there's a culture shock sort of storyline there stranger in a strange land mm-hmm. um again these are not new ideas here but damn if they aren't like <laughs> exactly what you want um and so they go through and ingrain themselves into the culture and in, into the, this tribe and assimilate as best they can and then as we all know shit hits the fan and the marines fi- find them and all hell breaks loose and we get basically an hour long fucking war uh to end the movie between yes. the marines and the whale, human whalers and the this this tribe that Jake Sully's family is now part of that's sort of it that's that's kind of it again like yep. it's nothing like you know nothing groundbreaking here you've seen this all before, yep, you've seen a lot of it in the previous avatar actually, <laughs> yeah, but this is it is exactly what you fucking want because now it's like oh stranger in a strange land guess what what if the land looked better than you've ever seen anything ever <laughs> and what if james cameron knew that and just made like a fucking alien nature documentary in the middle of this movie which is basically what he does as like the kids the sully kids and the met kids teach each other their ways they spend a lot of time underwater and it's just like the most beautiful shit ever <laughs> they they befriend whales the t- tukun the The absolute stars of the show, including one Piacon, the goat, never been. Nobody's ever done it better than Uh The Sully kids are awesome. I can't believe, literally. I, 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 I look. I was watching this and I was thinking, like, this is a better like family. I don't even know melodrama feels like maybe a little. the The dramat the family dramatics of this movie are better than like. Mm-hmm fucking watching real people (laughs) in movies for like the past five years yeah like like the the dynamics of the family are so well drawn out and again you know and the performances are great all around sacrifice the first act for that but it it pays off yeah i i remember seeing somebody say reading some reviews by avatar it's like you know a, a lengthy stretch of exposition is only bad if it doesn't pay off well I agree. I agree with that. And it pays off in spades here. Yes. Because look, by the end when fucking look, Lowak was teaching Jake how to like breathe properly to survive yes. underwater. I was like <laughs> yes, I was dude. like, Dude Bro <laughs> This is the shit that fucking like in joke in uh the Jokerman podcast, which is about not about movies at all, it's about Bob Dylan. <laughs> then it sometimes Evan and Ian will talk about like, you know, a Bob Dylan song that just has like strong ass bones. Like it's it's hard to hard to do this song in a way that does not do it justice. And there's just like story, like tried and true story bones in fucking Hollywood movies yep. that it's hard to not do them well. And James Cameron doesn't it doesn't, you know, fucking half ass it here. Like, this this is a three hour movie and I would say, pretty much every single like thread, like character thread, like comes together by the end in a way that you're just like, "Yep, he fucking did it." <laughs> well, I mean, like it's like when Kiri the, is the like breathing, the stuff with Kiri is, like leading the the glowing fish there. Um, then I was I yeah. remember, and it's like cross cutting between her and, and her like swimming around. Yeah, then I remember thinking like she shouldn't be the one to save Jake. Will actually be the one to save Jake, and that's exactly what happens. <laughs> you, we even get like one of the earliest like little character details of Spider's father being courage like, uh, We get that the Spider fucking and Quoritch thing too. It's and I mean like we see you know cross cutting simultaneously the sully family learning how to adapt to the the new water life. taking everything the, the children taking what they've learned to save their parents well no earlier in the movie i mean oh. when, like we would see the sully family yeah. adapting to the water life yeah yeah, yeah. cut to you know corridge and spite spider teaching corich and the marines how to adapt to navi existence yeah there's look it cross-cutting is the fundamental <laughs> basis of Hollywood filmmaking back to fucking D.W. Griffith. And James Cameron knows that better than fucking anyone. It is like everything pays off. Literally, I mean, just quite simply, if you had told me, if you had told me two years ago, not even, maybe just one year ago, (laughs) that number one, I would have been excited for a new Avatar movie because I was very excited to see this. But number two, that I would not only. That I would not only care about the characters in Avatar, but that they would be my favorite part of the movie. <laughs> I would have called you a fucking yeah. idiot. Look, there's some astroturfed like, <clears throat> Twitter campaign that's been going on of like, oh, Avatar, nobody cared about Avatar. <laughs> and I don't know if there's anything that has been more swiftly proven <laughs> wrong than Avatar The Way of Water. I, like, the the fact that I... I care about Jake Sully and his know. family is it's insane after I, the first one. Because I don't... Like, who fucking cares after... You watch the first Avatar and you're... The, the thing that sticks with you is, wow, this, like, technology is incredible. Which, like, Way of Water, again, is yeah. even better in that regard. Look, there's... I There's, like... A like, sh- I don't know how they made it. <laughs> there's a fi- shots that last five seconds in Avatar, The Way of the Water, that are more impressive... I mean, the uncanny valley is just obliterated (laughs) in this movie. Like, like, how are they not real people? Like, how how is this not real? The the facial expressions that the the digital fucking characters have is like unbelievable. Like, it's like I could not stop thinking about it. Like, how the fuck did we do this, man? You almost—it is basically a miracle. You almost instantly, when the movie starts, forget that you're watching CG. Yes, like. It is, and it is, and it that ne- never, ever, ever appears again throughout the movie. Like <laughs> as ho- I like as I'm thinking back to it, and I don't think, I don't think I could watch this movie and not be totally like. It's not even suspending disbelief. What James Cameron do- All right, ready for this soundbite. <laughs> <laughs> okay. James Ca- Cameron, the, this movie is fantastic. It is my fourth favorite movie of the year um james cameron a lot of movies ask you to suspend disbelief right to buy into whatever contrivance exists to make the narrative happen Mm
1: -hmm.
0: that's just part of watching a movie if you're not able to do that you're
1: probably
0: not you probably don't really like movies (laughs) james cameron doesn't do that here what james cameron does here he doesn't ask you to suspend your disbelief he asks you to invest your belief into this fucking world existing. There's nothing you're suspending here. You are simply being shown this insane man's imagination and he's telling you, Yeah, this is real. Like, this is real, man. Like <laughs> like what you're watching is real. Like, like what do you mean? And you ha- and like it is basically effortless to like fully buy into it. Like, yes. in, immediately. Like, there's, there's nothing, and there's nothing that happens that can break that immersion once you're there. Like, Pandora's real. I mean, it all comes back to James Cameron being an accomplished, classical Hollywood director, right? Like, um, you know, you said earlier, don't spend this whole episode fucking shitting on the Marvel machine. But, like, you watch any Marvel movie, and they're all, you know... Made in a fucking computer lab somewhere, and they all look like shit. <laughs> like it, the colors are are non-existent. The lighting is bad. James Cameron knows how to fucking light an actor. He knows <laughs> that color is a valuable proper visual property of an image, <laughs> and that he is not afraid to to fucking wean in on on classical Hollywood filmmaking tendencies and sensibilities just applied it to new technology that is constantly being pushed to, like, the limit. It is, uh... This is how you do it. computer-based movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, nobody's ever done like it better this, <laughs> and, this. like this and Speed Racer, or, like... Yeah, yeah, Speed Racer's a great... second time we've referenced Speed Racer in this fucking episode. <laughs> it's but a like, good fucking movie. But like, these are the movies that need to be... Like, if we want to take, like cgi based filmmaking like seriously then like these are the movies that we should be like referring to because, i agree because like the the film grammar doesn't change no. if, if yeah. you're like making a movie in a computer it's just the tools that you apply that grammar to do i am anxiously awaiting the rest of the avatar movies it, now it's going to be awesome they are event i <laughs> They are. I'm. I'm eating good. Cause last year I had Dune. This year I have Avatar. Twenty twenty three. I get Dune two. Twenty twenty four. I get Avatar three. I'm. We're feasting over here in Zackville no Avatar two is as good of a blockbuster as you will probably ever see. Like it is so fucking. Yep. From the from the king of blockbusters From the king, he deserves number one and number two highest grossing movies of all time. <laughs> Oh, give them top three actually. I I heard he might they might run back Titanic for like a remastered version. How, they literally are. I I yeah. In four K, H or hide what the fuck is it? That shit might make another hundred million. High frame like rate. Three D. I gotta watch that fucking yeah. I gotta watch Avatar. I gotta watch Titanic, I should say. Yeah, man. I I don't know. Avatar really blew me away. Um. All right, that's my number four, though. Throw it over to you for number three. February tenth, Titanic comes back to theaters. Can you believe it? <laughs> James Cam James Cameron has had enough of 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 his The pretenders on the throne. <laughs> He's so him. boss. But he is. He's an insane man. <laughs> um. Number three, Crimes of the Future. Here. Okay. Cool. Um. Uh, uh. As big of a probably shift as. <laughs> could possibly be imagined yeah my segue earlier was way fucking good better well okay it doesn't always work out um no crimes of future david Cronenberg's latest and greatest we talked a lot about this on the other podcast yes we did we had a episode on it yes wow. our first one nope the second one. Oh yeah our second one but so i don't really want to relitigate everything that we said there um but you know suffice it wait where, where was this on your list? This was number six on my okay, list. this is number three for me. We're in the top three now. And, you know, similar to old last year, this was number one for the majority of the year. Hmm. Um, this was a... I, I like this movie a lot. It's so... I'm, it's fantastic. I I'm a, I, I like Cronenberg quite a bit. Not as much as Jake, but, like, the man... The man can make him fuck a fucking movie, and Crimes of the Future is a good-ass movie. To just, you know, uh, not... Return to, I guess, something that we had talked about in the earlier discussion for it. Um, I was, like, anxious about seeing this movie. I I thought that it would not live up to my expectations. I thought my expectations were too high for it. I thought that I was was sabotaging my own response. Um, And that turned out to be not the case at all because it was both better than I imagined when I saw it and also in the time since seeing it, I've, like, kept thinking about it a lot. And it feels like it gets better on reflection. Like, as uh, on more reflection. What I would say so, I was a little bit less familiar with Cronenberg going into this one than I am now. Like, I've seen a couple more of his since then. And this movie was I was expecting a very different movie than what we got here. I was expecting something a lot more gruesome, a lot mm-hmm. more okay. science fiction y, a lot more horrifying. Yep. I guess okay, I mean, it's known as pretty the big scientific. body horror comeback. And instead we get a very sort of what's it? D- discursive, I guess. Would discursive or didactic be a better descriptor uh, here? I mean either one I think. Yeah, I think it's operating in both ways. Um sort of like you know, exploration of the art the the artist and legacy mm-hmm. and Legacy in the face of like an evolution ev- of in the face of evolution and in the face of like environmental destruction. And it's a very like it's a dialogue driven movie, <laughs> but, yeah, but yeah, like, I mean, but it's... like, wrapped in like people getting like ears sewn on their face, and like, yeah, Vigo Mortensen in the most absurd cloak of all time, like outside of a Star Wars movie, like. Like, you, you know, it's like, Cronenberg is a weird guy, obviously, but, like, and he brings those, like, idiosyncrasies and, like, strange sort of ideas and ma- imagination that he has here, but it's a lot more, it's, like, way less of a, of a, um, way less of a genre piece than I think I was no. expecting. Yeah. I mean, like, again, this was, like, build when it came to Cannes as, like, the big, body horror re- master returning to his roots right like i and, can't imagine i can't imagine anybody like being grossed out and walking out of this screen <laughs> yeah right which you know <laughs> which did happen supposedly apparently, yeah like i i don't know what the fuck <laughs> it's because i mean, you know i would argue that it's probably because the child is like murdered in the first like five minutes oh yeah okay. it's like okay i i don't want to see the rest of this <laughs> but i mean the rest of the movie is like yeah, okay, it's like really funny yeah um it is and it's you know not we've moved past there there's a been a debate throughout Cronenberg's whole career I don't remember if I think we I may have said the same exact thing back in our other discussion but there's been a debate throughout Cronenberg's career about whether his tendencies for body horror are based in like disgust of the human body or in you know simple fascination with it whether it's a positive or a negative uh reaction and i don't know if there's any easy answers there um especially i mean you know the outlook has probably changed over the course of his career but it feels like crimes of the future kind of puts that to rest going forward of like we're not like concerned with our bodies destroying ourselves it's kind of an exciting it's, it's become an exciting new possibility for us a, a new artistic possibility as well in the case of the movie which is about concerned with these body artists that take out organs and grow new you know shit all over their body <laughs> and stuff and use pre, operate as artists in that way um, it's just a really fascinating metaphor for himself, for his own career, in a way that he never really has explored before, um, and in you know the metaphorical possibilities here are pretty open ended,
1: mm-hmm. right?
0: and you know similar to every other Cronenberg movie that you know proposes that uh, that suggests an image with. You know, infinite readability. Then this like slots right in with you know the Videodrome stomach hole, and you know the mm-hmm. the the scanners conclusion, the like mind meld with the body and shit, right? Plenty of iconic images throughout Cronenberg's career are like charged with these metaphorical readable uh multitudes and crimes of the future is like really Swats in chief among them at this point definitely um probably my second favorite ending of the year also fantastic ending like second favorite i should say final shot um, uh, i i there's two great endings coming up for me on my list but it Crimes of the Future is right up there. It's one of the... It, I mean, it's so uncharacteristic for Cronenberg. It is. For the whole movie. It really... Yeah. It ends on, like, a... Kind of a holy shit moment. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, really good movie, though. Anything else for it? Nope. Right. Glad, glad that he's back. I am, too. Uh, my number three is... Jackass Forever. All right. Okay. My number seven. Hands down, this was my number one for most of the year. (laughs) Um, Hands down, the most fun experience I think I've ever had in a movie theater. I saw this twice in theaters. I, I would have so fucking good. I would have seen it probably a dozen times in theaters if I had the opportunity. It is, it's the best Jackass movie. I don't know how they pulled it off. Similar to James Cameron, I don't know how (laughs) Knoxville and Company (laughs) pulled this one off. They're they're old now not old you know they're like in their 40s and 50s but like for what they're doing that's fucking old especially when yes. we, i went back and watched a bunch of the original jackasses and th- they are young in those i don't know yeah. if we remember but they were young like fresh faced <laughs> like i mean those were Early 20s, years 20s. Yeah. yeah and they're still they're still doing it man and they're still kicking ass they are back with i mean these are this is probably my favorite collection of stunts that they've ever put in one of these movies yeah the more i think about it the more i'm like it, it feels obvious that jackass forever is like the best work that they've put yeah. together and look i'm a i'm a big fan jackass one is rough i think jackass one is a little bit rough there's a lot of stuff that like doesn't work that you probably forget about um because there is stuff that does really work in jackass one <laughs> but jackass two and three are awesome and i and i'm a big fan of those movies and big fan of this crew but this one this is their finest work (laughs) i mean there i mean yeah i mean it is crazy again like you know the jackass series played no small part in defining the the you know comic sensibilities of our whole generation yeah um yeah i mean these guys are like as living legends as like anybody else in in movies yeah the middle in school, entertainment middle school legends johnny knoxville and steve yeah, o and johnny knoxville probably the greatest stuntman ever <laughs> like well i, I well <laughs> there's a case I don't know, to be I don't made know about that but certainly the most uh i don't know the boldest <laughs> the most self-destructive perhaps <laughs> It is just the shit that the new cast members are great. Poopies is awesome. Yeah. Um, Jasper. Jasper's great. And uh, his dad, Dark Shark. Dark yeah. Shark's the best. What's the one? What's the woman's name? Uh, Rachel. Oh, Rachel's, Rachel's great. Um, Zach Holmes, great. Like, there's pranks here that are among the best that they've ever. The the intro with the Godzilla penis on um, what the fuck's his name? Uh, uh Aaron. No, it wasn't Eric. Oh, it's fucking—it's um, the guy that always has his dick out. Yeah, what's his name? Pontius. Pontius. Yes. Yeah. The 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 cock Godzilla. That that whole set piece is amazing. Look, when I watched this <laughs> the first, it, it it was great. It it holds up on the second view, on repeated <laughs> viewing. But when I was watching this, the first time in theaters, I just was fucking crying from like start to finish man (laughs) it's like it's the funniest movie it is in a long time it is in such a like i mean like they we were talking yesterday off mic we don't always have mics on but we were talking yesterday they don't make fucking studio comedies anymore yeah and that's such a such an element that's missing from the current ecosystem of like american film right like where's where's the funny actors where's the you know the mid budget you know drop it in late september go to see it with the with your like family or whatever studio comedy the there's no one-liners anymore there's no fucking nothing about it is memorable jackass is memorable it is it is and it, like it, if we are just done with that sort of mode of filmmaking if everything is, like, quips now, then, like, Jackass Forever is, like, the, the like, last gasp of, like, an older form that, we, that we've sadly moved beyond. I do wonder if there will be another one. I don't... I've heard that they... I think I've heard that there's plans for it. I don't... I cannot see Johnny Knoxville being involved. I remember reading something that after, like, an interview with him, I think with GQ... Uh, it was, like, right before it came out, but obviously it was after filming, that the bull stunt in this one, he was, like, that was, like, actually a scary moment. Yeah. <laughs> that was, like, one of the, like, first times on one of these movies where people were, like, oh, like, this is, like, scary, yeah. actually. And and it's given that sort of treatment in the movie, which I, which, you know. Yeah, that is an interesting moment. Like, yeah, just because of... it, it, I mean, like, it would risk, with something like that, you would risk sort of harshing the mood of what is yeah. otherwise an uproarious, you know, <laughs> high for, you know, 90 minutes, um, you would risk being like, oh, this is like, now I kind of feel bad laughing about all this shit, but it doesn't, it's not treated that way. It's more so as like a, like a taking stock of like, this is how, like how far this franchise and these performers have come from like their younger day, reckless days of getting fucking run over by bulls and shit. Mm-hmm. to like, now, like now this this kind of activity hurts, yeah right and like we can't be really super it's important to remind remember like the physical toll that some of this stuff takes the, the thing in this movie watching it that like really that elevated that i think like in hindsight is number one why this movie was like my number one of the year for so long um but is also why I'm very confident in saying it's the best one in the franchise is, like, these guys have been, like we said, like, together for, like, over 20 years at this point. And whereas previous Jackass pranks, like, it a, a goal was frequently, like, how can we make this, like, hurt the most? <laughs> like, how can we cause the most, like, bodily harm <laughs> to ourselves yeah. and each other? And, like, that ethos is still there. Absolutely. The Cup Check the series is... Oh is a, a, a marvel of the human body <laughs> danger Eren is a it is fucking most studies but like that ethos is still there in this but there's also a a tenderness that they have with each other yeah that like look is isn't i don't want to say is missing in the other ones but is way more felt here where yeah. these guys like you know this is like a this is like a family like these guys this crew has been friends and has destroyed each other for a long time at this point like we finished talking about avatar but jackass forever same thing it's like damn i i am so invested in the just positivity of these people on screen it's like every prank ends with like Everybody like hugging and like you know, like congratulating yeah. each other, and and it, like, yeah, oh, like that was awesome, dude, <laughs> so, like that like and, and that's always been like the the thing with this with these movies is like yeah, they're clearly like best friends, right, yeah, and, like there's the stuff with Bam has been sort of like uh yeah, on it's been a little upsetting, um that he wasn't able to mm-hmm. get it together for this movie, um. But, like, that's that sort of dynamic has always been, like, part of these movies and these guys. It's just a lot more foregrounded in Jackass Forever, and appropriately so, right? It's like, we're getting older, this is probably our last movie yeah. doing all this shit together, right? We may as well, you know, wear our hearts on our sleeve a little yeah, bit. and they do. And, I, they, I mean, they go out legends, you know? Like, Jackass. Yeah. Jackass Forever, like, they are immortalized like the 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 best thing that i can hope for with this movie is that i hope that jackass forever plays the role for like the younger generation what the older movies did yeah. for us yeah and, like I, I don't see why it won't i mean it was a pretty big maybe just success because, maybe whatever. just because like cable like like it won't run it exhibition for movies is not really where it was when you know you and me were growing up. Yeah, and but... then I would always have Jackass on like TNT. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Playing the the like two point five. Yeah. And, and seeing all the like. I did watch four point four and a half. I haven't seen that. Yet. It's 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 one of the weaker half entries. I would say. I think three and a half was always my favorite. Three and a half is one. really good. Um. Yeah. What's your favorite? What's your favorite stunt in it? I know oh, my mine. God. I mine is know. the... Probably, uh, I think the Vulture one. Oh, my God.
1: <laughs> Feast, Feast his,
0: his cock. cock. <laughs> I, uh... The Silence of the one. Oh, my God. Whenever like, I literally started crying in the fucking... That was, I, I cried that laughing so... many times in this movie, but, like, that was... That one was the, is unreal. <laughs> that one took me out. Like... <laughs> Early on, that's like the second or third prank in the movie. Yeah, it's it's it comes early and it, it, they, like <laughs> if you had any reservations about them not yeah not capturing that magic again, then that one comes and it's like oh and they it's like, they like, oh, stopped, they missed us they got it beat. yeah they are better than ever maybe it no Jackass Forever is a fantastic movie yeah genuinely one of the one of the if not maybe the funniest movie i've have ever seen, and definitely the best in theater experience I think I've ever had look well, physical comedy can't be beat they Never knew it been around for a hundred knew it a hundred years ago, and it's still the case. look what we're learning today cross cutting <laughs> the fundamentals of storytelling, physical comedy the old look the old ways worked. That gets forever. Top three movie of the year. All right, number two. Number I two. have. I I'm I'm gonna go a little off script here and say that this is because I have a tough time deciding between these two for at my top spot. So I'll call this one B. I also have a tough time between my top two. Wow. Okay. So so I'll call this one B as opposed to the one A. Okay. Um, and this is the Fablemans. Ooh, <laughs> the Spielberg. By Steven spielberg go, <laughs> And uh, I'm not a big Spielberg guy, but I chalk that one up mostly to it not really being exposed to a lot of, like, the real shit. Yeah, this guy me. hasn't seen Jaws. Haven't seen Jaws. Fuck. Haven't seen, you know... Close Encounters. Close Encounters. AI. War of the Worlds. Schindler's List. You know, all sorts of shit like that. The best Spielberg movie prior to this that I saw was probably Jurassic, Jurassic Park. Park. I mean, which come on. yeah, <laughs> Look, we talk about James Cameron. <laughs> Steven Spielberg was kind of the James Cameron before
1: well, he, he, he was doing his I, shit. Yeah,
0: <laughs> um, people forget. Um, but and I think part of that is also compounded by this past decade of Spielberg's work being kind of a little dull i think is safe to say at least in according to my sensibilities right it's like do i want to watch a movie about fucking the new york post or the new york times i guess no no i do not bridge of spies don't care uh ready player one don't care i'm for I've actually heard people say good things about Ready Player One <laughs> for what it's worth. I'm, I'm never going to watch that I'm not, movie. I'm going to be always skeptical of that reclamation project. Yeah, but I I feel like I've I, I've at this point, it is a trend of people being like, you know what, Spielberg made a pretty good movie out of that. Um, I mean, if anybody could. Yeah. Which this is, I think, the thing that... I saw West Side Story last year, too. I liked it, didn't love it, and that one was a little... That one was kind of, you know... Oh, actually, real quick. I have not seen Fableman's. So, like, that's... I guess that's a big blind spot for me as well in this. Yeah. Um... Apparently, not a lot of people did either. Because they kind of bombed. But that's fine. No Um... Yeah, I saw the West Side Story last year. Liked it. Didn't love it. Thought it was kind of whatever. Uh I kind of blame Tony Kushner for that one, though. But... Um. And that one was really disheartening because a lot of people that I do trust, you know, critically were like really over the moon for West Side Story. And I was like, man, if this is if like this isn't getting me in the Spielberg <laughs> like mindset then like I don't know what it is. And then all it turns out all it needed was the fable. You got to watch Jaws. I know I got to watch you, it, Jaws, Jaws is an awesome fucking movie. Um but then The Fable ones came out, right? And it's like, okay, you know, leading up to it, it's like, Steven Spielberg's finally making a movie about himself. It's like, okay, well, I gotta see this. <laughs> I, I do love movies, and Spielberg is the movies. So, comes out, and it is, you know, thinly veiled autobiography of Steven Spielberg growing up before he uh, entered into the movie business. And it is so fucking good. It's unbelievable and i think it is it is great in a way that the marketing of it and the sort of the common like reaction or the common i guess take on it feels so alien to me like people call this like a you know this is like a love letter to the movies right one of the first lines of dialogue is michelle williams who i think like if i if i have like a negative mark to put on this I don't think Michelle Williams is very good in this movie. I think that she is, like, playing in a different movie than, <laughs> than what this is. But she has that, like, awful line at the beginning of, like, movies are dreams that they run <laughs> in, like, all the commercials and trailers and shit. And it's like, like we're taking the wrong... Like, I understand why we're taking this this tact with it, right? Like, fucking Hollywood loves to celebrate itself. <laughs> yes. Pretty, like, you know conclusively and so it makes sense that we take the and you know people love fucking being reminded that hollywood is good and supposedly you're right it feels like nobody ended up going to see to see many of the movies that are about (laughs) how cool hollywood is this year um but that's another point um so it makes sense that they would they would take this angle and run with it this movie is is deeply deeply ambivalent i call this like steelberg's brian de palma movie um and aside from like the clear blowout scene in the middle that is like the turning point um which i'll get to in a minute then like it it's reflective of brian de palma's sort of ethos of like total skepticism in like the movie in like the cinematic apparatus itself as anything other than like something kind of like perverted and voyeuristic and destructive because this is a, like this movie is like not about like something about Spielberg that i always one of the lines that I had taken that is probably unfounded but that is like sort of sort of finds its way into like common understanding is that you know he's all he's a saccharine happy ending Hollywood guy. Yeah, right. Like of course that's probably not true, right? Some people probably call John Ford a happy ending director. Um, and it, this movie, like I think, like it ends on a, a upbeat scene with the John Ford. I've seen the ending scene. You have with David Winch. It's well, David Winch. What a what a choice there. What a, I mean, like a a. a such a fascinating choice just like linking hot like cinematic past with like cinematic present present both through Winch and spielberg and like the all of the implications that that sort of casting decision play it's a it's it's fascinating it's a clever little last shot too i i, I like that i i, like I heard I- the story of um the last shot is so it's so good and like i'll tell you this Ever since seeing it, then I've noticed the horizon line in every single fucking movie. Are you serious? Yeah. That's really funny. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I've I'd heard that story of Spielberg's meeting with John Ford before. That like you know you a good director knows where to put the horizon. Um, so it was cool to see that played out. That's for the fans. Um, this is uh, also, this is kind of like a fan service for spielberg has also this movie which is kind of funny <laughs> i and i've seen people criticize this as like being like a narcissistic thing of like oh yeah spielberg you know his stand in here sammy Fableman, is just like a savant intuitively at at like film filmmaking and it's like like yeah sure like i don't know why why is this like an like wasn't he, like... He was, like, in his 20s when he made Jaws, wasn't he? Or yeah, he, like... <laughs> yeah, he was a savant. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, and, like, some of the shit that he's doing... Like, when Sam is, like, making movies with, like, his friends, it was like, Boy Scout Troop, and, like, running along, and he kicks up, like, the dirt to simulate, like, the gunshot or the explosion, and it's, like... I, like, here's the thing. is that, like, watching those scenes of, like, young Sam Fableman as Steven Spielberg film shooting movies with like his like friends and shit and coming up like coming up with these solutions these like practical solutions of like this is how we like move the camera through this scene this is how we simulate gunshots and explosions this is you know how we do a firefight and shit like that seeing though watching those scenes i was like the most the strongest kind of like I I need to be making movies like reaction that I've ever had in in like watching a movie. I was like cuz it was like a reminder of like you know I've been through fucking school and done done the work of like making films and shit and it was just like such a reminder of like this is like this is like the the art form like in in its purest form of like finding coming up with solutions for like weird invented problems and like the solution like the problem solving of like filmmaking is like so fun <laughs> when you don't have like when you're like a, just a kid that's like making shooting shit with your friends and stuff like he has he punches like pinholes like in the film to simulate like the the burst of gunfire and it's like like all of the shit that sam does has like a adolescent is like genius, right? <laughs> like no, no fucking kid is like coming up with the the kind of like solutions that he does to like film stuff. But because it's Steven Spielberg and he's making a fucking movie about himself, then it's like okay, I'll give him the pass, right? And like, who who am I going to be like? Yeah, Spielberg. He's he wasn't actually that good as like a kid making movies. Like, who cares? <laughs> Number one, you're probably wrong. Also, probably wrong. Yeah, like. <laughs> He probably was that good. Second of all, I, just because you were, like, an unimaginative kid doesn't yeah. mean that Steven Spielberg was. No. Um, but going back to the the original point that I was making, is that this is, like, like, for all of those scenes... And here's the thing, is that that reaction I had of, like, I gotta be, like, like I gotta move to California, I gotta make a fucking movie, man. <laughs> like, that feels... Like, something that is, like, heavily, heavily tempered. That feels like almost the wrong reaction to have coming out of this movie. Because there's a... The kind of point... the There's a scene early on where, like, Judd Hirsch comes... As, like, the scary Jewish uncle that's just, like, passing through. And he tells Sam... Basically, com- like, without any obfuscation that, like... You can either choose your art or you could choose your family... But you cannot choose both. Like, they will tear you apart. And the rest of the movie ends up playing this out. And Sam, as Steven Spielberg, chooses the art. Like, he moves... Like, his family... His parents get divorced. And, like, the clearly Spielberg has not properly uh, processed that trauma throughout his whole life. And is, like, using this as an opportunity to. And, like, we still don't find any sort of... There's no happy ending here, really you know, it ends on, you know, a fun scene of John Ford telling Steven Spielberg how to fucking, how to choose the horizon line, and, you know, Sam Fableman is out walking through the big Hollywood studios, and, you know, the the future is, we know how the rest of the story goes here, but the ultimate trauma that is inflicted on him of his parents, his family getting broken up is, like, never gets resolved like we he's living with his dad in like an apartment in los angeles and his mom is like sending postcards and shit from like their house in like arizona and it's like like yeah like the art like judd hirsch was right like we this is like a something that has like kind of destroyed us and with the destruction of his family i mean quote unquote destruction of the family right maybe it's a little bit dramatic but like in the perspective of in the film's perspective that it takes. And it's like, yeah, this is like something that tears them apart. And what does it is Sam's filmmaking is that he, this blowout scene in the middle and his family goes on a, uh, camping trip at one point, And he takes some foot, he, you know, records some footage and it, his dad comes in and is like, at one, at one point and he's like, Hey, your mom, you know, her, her mom died. And I want you to put this footage together into a movie and show it to her, to make her feel better. And he's like sitting there with all this footage at at the editing machine, going through it manually, like the old editing machines used to. And he discovers that his mom and his his like dad's friend maybe like are a little more intimate than might be uh, kosher here, and it's like. akin to the scene of blowout where he's where jack uh john travolta is like putting together the assassination manually from like strips of like photographs taped together with like synced up to hit the sound recording and stuff except it's sam fabelman finding evidence in like all of in like the background of his like camping footage of his mom his mom's infidelity and it's like an insane fucking sequence to watch unfold because it, i I mean it's somewhere i mean like you know you can draw up a fucking laundry list of movies that this is like calling back to it's like the conversation when the the snippet of dialogue that like powers the narrative of that whole movie is like suddenly recontextualized at the end it's like all of these you know shots of us playing around in the woods and stuff suddenly have like a lingering sinister feeling to them and like this is like the ultimate truth of like filmmaking that Spielberg is kind of like wrestling with here is that like the camera is not going to be filtering things like it's just capturing what you present in front of it and sometimes you're not going to be able to you're not gonna be able to control what that it always is. And it will not be pleasant to you. And but you can manipulate how that image then is is received because later in the film then he moves to like a new city, they go to a new high school, he has some bullies that mistreat him, call him like anti Semitic shit. Um he meets a Christian girl shoot, who is so fucking awesome. Uh, the scenes with her are so damn funny. It's, like, insane. Um, but, he, you know, he ends up shooting, like, the, the senior prom movie, right? There on the beach. And it, one of the bullies is, like, one of the main characters of this prom movie. And he is just, like, the way that he comes across in this prom movie that Sam shot is, like a callback to fucking Lenny Reifenstahl's, like, Olympic movie <laughs> back in, like, during the Nazi, like, whatever it was, the 36th Berlin Olympics, right? Olympia. And where he is just, like, a god on screen. And it, this bully is, like, and there's, you know, there's this cutting between what we see on screen and Sam's sort of just, like, Spinning the projector, and then the bully reacting to it, and he's he was he you know all his friends are like hyping him up and shit whenever he's on screen and like running around and like posing, and the sun is like shining behind him, and you know and his friends are you know they're having fun and stuff but and he goes from like joint like with them with the fun to what like, just like his like expression just like starts of drains away, and he's like kind of visibly disturbed by how he is presented on screen and he confronts sam in the hallway afterwards and he's like why did you shoot me like this like why did you why did you make me look like this and sam it, like you know he's like cagey with why he like he doesn't really understand himself but he's like it, that's what made the movie good like that's what makes a good movie is how i how i made you look and it, it's such a insane scene this confrontation between them because it is like Basically, it is, like, laying out in, like, no uncertain terms that, like, anybody can be manipulated through this. Like, the the director is, like, sort of controlling a reality here, right? Yeah. And I mean, yeah. Like, it's an absolutely, like, wild, it, it is not, like, a heartwarming love letter to the movies thing. It's, like kind ultimately sort of disturbing in like the conclusion that it draws and it's like because it's a more honest depiction of filmmaking as like a controlling artistic craft that like yeah like i can manipulate the images however i want and i can see like even going back to the camping footage he makes the camping movie he just cuts out all of the scenes that show his mom and mom like being all cozying up to the other guy seth rogan and it's like yeah he never tell he never lets his dad know that about that shit but he confronts his mom he's like i'm not gonna show them the movie and it's like that like the the truth that he he knows like he is like sort of the 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 prometheus of like <laughs> the fucking this little family here yeah. like I I have to I am burdened with like the truth. This is like the the ultimate conclusion that Spielberg has about like being an artist is like you are like burdened by the weight of like witnessing truth. But your responsibility then is, as an artist is to filter it in a way for other people to see. And they won't, they won't get it all, but you'll have to like suffer with all of it then. It's like such a complex it's I mean it's easily the most complex thing I think I've ever seen Spielberg do and like as far as like movies about the movies that have come out recently like I struggle to think of anything you know that even comes close to like again it's like blowout is basically the only thing of like something that has come close to digging into this idea of like the director as like like their artistic function being both like you know uh cro- like an albatross around their neck and like kind of the thing that elevates them above everyone else that's cool that's i look i'll never you'll never catch me really shitting on spielberg i think if you Who... do i think if you do if you do it's akin to being like uh the beatles fucking suck (laughs) it's like i don't think they're that good i'm not a big fan of spielberg's output in the last 10 years similar to you but like come on like yeah he makes good movies yeah like he he, (laughs) there's a few figures in the last like 50 years of american film that have demonstrated such a talent to make movies yeah and who spielberg have, i have, mean like frankly who have like shaped yeah like the entire like art form to them yeah like, like spielberg has like yeah i'm glad this movie i gotta i mean though. i gotta watch more spielberg movies right like if this is the shit that he's loading out like for his you know passion project what what has he done before i'm glad this turned out well though i think it could have been something that ended up like you said, like that sort of saccharine sort of critique, yeah, um, whether that's founded or not, I actually don't know I feel like I haven't seen enough recent enough Spielberg that like that would apply to, um to determine that, but
1: mm-hmm.
0: no, I'm glad this turned out well sorry, went a little long on that one i'll I'll be shorter on my next one, okay, my one b or number two, depending how you wanna determine it, Oh, we went over, oh, we're well over <laughs> is tar directed by todd Field. number 10 for me tar is a fucking movie man i will really be good this was my number one for like the last couple months of the year until like a few weeks ago um this movie is i'm gonna have to we're gonna have to not get super into this movie unfortunately because we are two hours in, well, and there's a lot that we can talk about with this movie. Well, let me, you know... But this is... Tar is, I think, one genuinely, I think one of the best movies I've seen in the last, like, five or six years. Like, I'm, it's right up there. Let me just sort of cut it off at the head here. I'm not really interested at all in the sort of, like, various interpretive takes on this movie. Of, like, oh, was... Is this really a dream? Is there like a some sort of ghost type thing going on here? and like i like, I read the article that you sent me about from slate um which I thought it was, was good I which was, it was kind of cool. I thought it was interesting think about. I did not catch the the little weird shit, yeah in I didn't it, either. um which I was like, oh, that's kind of actually kind of freaky yeah, um but just like as like a movie, like I think. Well, I don't think we'd get I, the, anywhere trying to like yeah, figure right. That like, out. I, like this is not because here's the thing. Okay. This is not like a puzzle to like solve. No. And then, like suddenly it's gonna be like, oh, I I get tar now. Yeah. No. If, if uh, it's all a fucking dream or whatever, yeah. it's like no. Like the movie is the movie. Because here's the thing about this movie that like, it's it's pretty straightforward. It's pretty. If you're if you're not approaching it at it with this like interpretive lens, then it's like uh, narrative i think if you watch it as it is then yeah it's it's not a there's nothing going on here that's like terribly like you know abstract or like mm-hmm. ambiguous to the viewer like yeah. like if you're, if you're just watching it as is because like i need to i need to flex a little bit right out of the, <laughs> right out of the gate <laughs> okay we finished this movie so we watch it together and i had not really read i hadn't really read any reviews about it i was excited to see it because i heard a lot of really great you know buzz about it about Kate blanchett
1: mm.
0: and so i was really excited to see it but i didn't read any reviews i didn't you know get on any fucking like forums or you know reddits or anything like that about it um and the movie finished and i was like holy shit that was fucking awesome and one of the fir- one of the first thoughts i had was that felt the closest i think i've seen to a stanley kubrick movie that was not made by stanley kubrick like that i've ever seen and then as you do you go and read some you know write-ups about it some reviews and stuff and it turns out that that's one of the main (laughs) that's been one of the main sort of like uh things talked about with this movie is the kubrickian nature of it well because todd field was todd field was in eyes wide shut and was i think was basically like an apprentice sort of a, yeah um which i didn't know about that but nailed that one walking out of the theater i, I couldn't <laughs> i couldn't believe it when i started reading shit i was like wow dude everybody else had that same thought as me that's cool but i think that's also an important detail to get out ahead of of why also we can't we cannot spend too long on this one because Stanley Kubrick movies have a lot of meaning in everything. That's kind of what makes them special, and like, what makes him like such a brilliant like filmmaker. I mean, he's he's an internet favorite, and that's part of the reason why is that his movies are easy to like. There's take, there's take a sort of like code breakers sort of eye to, and I, like I resist that sort of reading, but Stanley Kubrick's movies are good enough even. Without that, obviously, that it's like, you know, he's earned a sort of. It's more than carte just blanche. It's more than just meaning, though. It's there's purpose to everything that Samuel yeah. Kubrick does. Yes, and that is, I had an identical feeling to Tar. That there is a purpose to every, like, camera positioning, which I mean, in that article I sent you, even went on to show that like purposes that I didn't even really maybe pick up on at the time, which I also the second thought leaving the theater was I need to see this movie again, and I have not been able to rewatch it yet. um, if I did, it may be my number one. um I'll just leave that out there um just taste, but there's purpose to like every single thing in this movie that like whenever I think about it 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 I get vertigo of every single fucking thing and and the the things i've read of other people is like sort of like bringing their own knowledge like for instance reading people who know of the world of classical music and what they bring here and how they apply that to the character of lydia tar is fascinating because there's a lot of very intentional seeming um character traits of hers that it does not seem like he would would mean anything to you unless you had a sort of classical music background, like the he she gives the, like the trivia knowledge in the opening interview about the Beethoven's fifth starts on a a a, a rest. Um, apparently, that's like boilerplate fucking like hack trivia knowledge in the like classical music like everybody knows that shit. Like apparently, that's nothing. And and watching the movie, I was like damn this bitch is a genius well whatever like whatever when she said that i was like oh i see the whole i was like in my head i was like oh they're doing this interview just to emphasize that she's like a brilliant woman to the audience to the viewer right now like i was like oh that's the purpose of like starting it this way to establish that credibility and specifically i had that thought when she said that so then like whatever it was days or weeks later whenever i read that like whatever person being like yeah like lydia tar is like like they make, she's a hack. Like in this movie, like they know that she's a hack. The like writers, the director, like Todd Field, like, and there are a few other reasons, but they pointed to that specifically. That like everybody fucking knows that. Like nobody's impressed by that. See, uh, this is an interesting point. I think that we should discuss it a little bit. Is that this is a very specialized know yes. you that is being represented here. Yes. it's the world of classical modern composition. Yes. Um. Also there's a lot of really good reviews on Letterboxd that I have seen. There's no, one I want to there's one I'll reference in a couple minutes. Mark Ash, I think has written my favorite one here. It's a little long and I don't I'm there's nothing in it in particular that I want to reference but just saying, you know, good review out there. But to this point, I think I'm I always whenever a movie sort of proposes itself as like being representative of a certain Specialized group of people in society. In this case, classical, like high art, modern classical high culture. Yes, the high culture. The high culture is like a a good sort of blanket. Yeah. uh, Point of reference for this kind of thing because it is such a it is naturally such an insular, Mm -hmm. gate kept thing that I always feel a little skeptical when a movie proposes to be presenting that kind of world and i felt i like how much of it is actual legitimate representation of it how much of it is you know an intentional i guess subversion of legitimate representation how much of it is just like the director playing pretend yeah right and i think that if you're playing pretend then you're not doing a good job yeah um and it, i couldn't shake the feeling why throughout tar that i i wasn't entire i did not entirely believe that this movie was legitimate in its representation with like benediction like we talked about earlier i have no doubt that terence davies is deeply familiar with the world of like Early, early 20th century, like, gay, British, high culture world, right? Like, I have no doubts that Terrence Davies understands that society intimately. With, like, Todd Field and this world in Tar, I'm a little less certain. And that was something that kept nagging at me throughout the whole thing. I think, and, like, th- like, the idea that he's wanting to present Lydia Tar as a hack is something that never really actually came came across for me the key the reason okay so i I thought about this movie for days after I watched it, like I was like it had a grip on me <laughs> like in a way that movies some not really don't don't really very often the key to understanding tar because tar presents itself as this like just such a cold fucking like yes like such a distant movie, like, from any sort of emotional core. The most we get is Tar's relationship with her daughter. Everything else is, like, power upon, like, you know, manipulation and this sort of, like, seedy, like, pretension and, like, of the high culture, like, you know, music world um, that all sort of, like, then sort of does unravel as Tar's, you know... Allegations of uh sexual impropriety with a former student come out. Um, all of that is like. Can I also just say I am totally uninterested in discussing whether this movie is like pro or anti cancel culture. I don't think I the think, movie cares either. I think that is the fucking most inane conversation to have about well, this movie. Yeah, I, I don't think Todd Field care I think. I think Todd Field used that as a very clever just window dressing for a character study. Um yes. And it's all the better for it. But... Is it kind of cynical? I think that it's fair to criticize it if you believe so. But... But... So it's this like occupies in this like almost emotionless like <laughs> void. Yeah. Because Tar is like... Tar is a power hungry woman who sort of has no time for the people beneath her which she kind of thinks is just everybody um and we can get into Blanchett's performance but I want to say that like that the way to understand this movie in a way that like clicked with me a few days later was like oh this is like this is a satire of like this entire fucking world like this is like it plays itself as this like steely like fucking super serious like character study which it can be like you can view it that way and i think it's still like a quality product but i think it's a lot The i think tongue is pointed firmly in cheek in this and it all came together when i thought about the ending again the i mean I I think this movie is, ending. is, like, really funny, like, between the lines. Yes. And I think the ending is also so fucking funny. The man. ending is hysterical, and I think the ending is also a key to understanding what Todd Field's, like, intentions are here. Like, this is a satire of the world that Lydia Tarr is occupying, that she is a product of, that she is contributing to its sort of... What do I want to say? Like,
1: vulgar Fratern-
0: Fraternistic, like, vulgar vulgarities that, like, lead to her own downfall, but that, like, you know, have occupied this world for years and years. Like, this is a satire. Like, this movie is a satire more than anything else. And oh, yeah. like, I mean, I'm glad that you said that because it did remind me of something I actually did want to reference in Mark Ash's review on Wetterboxed. And, like, I think that this is, like, kind of, I agree with this feeling. Although, I think I come out a little more positively on Tar than he did he says that field coats the movie with so much gloss he's written a satire and directed a tragedy yeah like, and i think <laughs> i that's kind of where my sort of difficulties also lie is that it feels like i'm not entirely certain if this is like undercutting tar or oh, if, i think it a hundred percent is, or if this is you know uh you know a lot of people talk about like related tar to like the character to like daniel Plainview, right which sort of set my expectations a little. I would. Little, dis- I I think that's a bad point of reference. A little askew. I agree because she never slips into that kind of like mania that Daniel point view does. She well, she does, but in a different way. Her her unraveling is a lot more internal. Yeah, and it, well, it's projected outward like in a very like marginal way. Like the yeah. the biggest moment is obviously her tackling the other composer like mid performance. Um but other than that, uh oh, meet Philip. Not now Philip. Did that pause the recording? That's what I wanna see. <laughs> <laughs> I think it did. Yo, okay, we oh we still got it. We're we're two hours twenty minutes in. Nice recording has recording has continued all right so ignore that i just got a phone call yeah i'm actually gonna turn on do not disturb just so yeah don't just that doesn't me. happen again um was it? oh yeah like the unraveling however you want to describe it um it happens in a lot less of a projected way the bi- the biggest moment is her tackling the other composer Mark it Strong burns. wearing the worst hair of all the time. The worst hair piece that has ever been worn. <laughs> um, but aside from that, then it's just like a slow accumulation of like sort of PR failings and like personal slights and things like that. That I've seen, I've heard other people like relate to Daniel Plainview's sort of descent, And I think that that is such a misplaced. Uh, yeah analogy for it that sort of like fucked my expectations up a little bit i was expecting a much bigger like comeuppance or like a bigger down no it's, at the end. it's quiet it's very i mean like it's very like outside of the the hysterical indignities of the yeah. ending then like there's no i mean the implications you know, are pretty severe of like yeah like she essentially loses her family and has, like she exiles herself like that's pretty that is pretty dramatic yeah <laughs> like but there's no like histrionics for it yeah like it just sort of she just takes a flight to like malaysia one day Um, like after a a botched like book talk or whatever like yeah she just leaves the country because in disgrace and leaves the world the world that she's occupied and been such a keystone of yeah but to this point of field having written a satire and directed a tragedy i do kind of agree with it because i think that there's so like again i think it comes back to a I'm just not certain. After watching it once, which, you know, maybe watching it again, this would illuminate it a little differently. And maybe this is just a lack of familiarity with the kind of world that is being represented. Maybe, you know, Field, which I think is a separate problem. If Field is not highlighting the ways in which Lydia Tarr is, like, sort of a poser, then... If that's only queer to the most specialized people in the audience, then I feel like the satire sort of like goes over the head. Right. I almost disagree with that because I think like at a certain point this, because like look, I I don't have the knowledge of the classical world to like be able to 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 see where the seams are in Lydia Tarr's performance. Um but i think just the the presentation itself of the movie of so 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 bleakly serious like at a certain point like paired like i mean whenever it, you juxtapose that with the subject matter that it's dealing with of this you know the high culture insular world like i think at a certain point you have to really understand that well these are just mirroring each other and like i think that's very purposefully done like it's, it goes back to it, like purposefully done like the reason everything's so serious and so almost brutalistic in the way that this movie is like made, is because that's the fucking world that it's that it's lampooning almost. Like it's, I think it's just very sharp. I think <laughs> like it cuts like. I I think it is too, but I think it's a little. It could stand. This is not something that I, uh I I loft as criticism often. I think it could stand to be a little bit more obvious in the sort of mechanics of how it's oper of what it's trying to achieve. I think maybe like maybe the uh sort of you know uh non committal nature of the movie as a whole is kind of one of the things that's working against it. I think it we definitely need to mention Kate Blanchett's performance also, which yeah, more terrific. or less like is a sort of spectacular oh, achievement. I did want to mention going Rewinding about a half hour now, but I I meant to bring up mention in Avatar, Stephen Wang uh, yeah. gives a tremendous performance in this movie. <laughs> yeah, he does as Quaritch. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. it it is actually insane. I couldn't believe what I was watching. I was like, holy shit, he's, he's great. Too, he's so fucking good in this. Yeah, thing. he is. um But yeah, Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett, Blanchett, tremendous. Probably the best performance of the year, I would say one of the better performances I think there's been in a long time. Supposedly, the role was written for her. But again, like, even... Man, I like, had to look up if she was gay or not.
1: She's Kate not. Blanchett,
0: she's not. Yeah, she's married to no. a playwright. She's put... She's... How many fucking gay people has she played? <laughs> she just pumps them out, dude. She's typecast now yeah. as a lesbian. um, I mean, Again, it, like, goes back to the purpose is, like, every single thing in her performance is, like, feels so fucking, like... Tuned to this character, of of a character that we learn throughout the movie, is a character played by. Kate Blanchett playing a character Linda Tar,
1: yeah,
0: who is playing a character Lydia Tar, like. There's, I mean, you know, layers of all layers here that like, that's such a good detail. Like it's, fucking fantastic, and it like that like detail is so like, subtle like by the end when she goes to like her childhood home and sees like her brother i think it is right and she's watching the leonard bernstein vhs tape yeah that's a great scene um and but it also like recontextualizes like the not just the movie but the performance that like yeah that every, like everything i mean like, 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 like everything is obviously like so modulated yeah what is doing but it reminds it, it, me of it's not even like but at that point then it becomes it's like, oh, this isn't even just like modulated in the way that like people in this sphere are this is modulated in the way that somebody like, that somebody, that, somebody that is these pretend- people, yes, <laughs> like it reminds me of Naomi Watts in Mulholland Drive, like one of my favorite performances ever when she's playing the woman who's fantasizing the 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 sort of like dream version of herself as a hollywood like the it's incredible it's like it is mind-blowing to think about what she fucking does here and i mean she's completely like magnetic the entire time like yeah like it is she was quite frankly born for this shit like it is a monumental role um that the movie would not work without but again like that's just like like, I don't know, man. Like, there's, like, so many components in <laughs> this movie. We could talk... Like, we could talk... This is a movie that I think legitimately we could probably talk about for, like, a, uh, an hour between us. There's a lot going on here. Yeah. And I... The one thing I want to reference is, like, there are a lot of, like, ways to interpret the movie, I think, that are actually worthwhile to think about. Um... That we don't have to get into, yeah, I think that's, that's we can't get into. <laughs> like, if we did, like, a podcast about just tar, then I think that we could yeah. spend the time to, like, talk about all that stuff. But, like, as it is, I don't think it's ultimately that important I don't in, even. like, evaluating, you know, or I like, think talking about ultimately how much we liked it. It's, um, the one thing I will say is there's a, a review I saw this explained. Let me see who it's from um, so I can credit them. <laughs> As if it will fucking... Anybody will listen to this, but whatever. (laughs) Um, Let me see here. It is... Mark. On (laughs) Twitter box. Mark Cira. C-I-R-A. It's a very long review, but it's very thorough. And attempts to dissect a lot of what's going on here. And there's a fascinating point that he makes that, or an argument that he makes that. The movie is palindromic, that it can be viewed as it is, forward, you know, uh, starts with the interview, right? Builds up to Mahler's fifth and ends with the exile to Malaysia and the Monster Hunter Symphony. And it can also be viewed the other way. You can watch it the other way of, and you get a a similar construction of the same character of she starts her career in the third world right malaysia in the movie it's peru working with indigenous tribes. she works her way up into a prominent position in the high culture world alongside a pro- prodigious student with a cello player that she is sort of like attempting to manipulate and it ends on a higher note for her, not yeah. not not the the exile, but ends with, suppose with the interview supposedly being a crowning of the new Leonard Bernstein, right? And then we get credits. The movie starts with credits. Yeah, also, it does. Like, which I thought was interesting, which is
1: kind of cool. Um, interesting
0: then, way of looking at the movie. Well, I I want to rewatch it because that is. I mean, like I I obviously have never thought of it like that. But here's another thing, and this is again like. When I talk about purpose, like, this is the shit I'm talking about, is, like, Mahler's Fifth is, like, intentionally composed palindromically. Oh, interesting. That, like... Oh. Huh. Hey, maybe Tocchio does, does know about this. Like, maybe he did consult some people. On not that. only that, but, like, the parallels to Lydia Tarr and Gustav Mahler, like, Gustav Mahler was not Jewish himself, but married to a Jewish woman in... Germany during, you know, the thirties, during the rise of the, you know, Nazi, um, uh, government, I guess. And he did his best to distance himself from his past, from his familial connections, uh, in an attempt to build himself up into this composer. And ultimately it didn't work. He had to exile himself, uh, due to his connections to Judaism. Lydia Tarr, what'd she do? She grows up in the fucking, you know, boondocks upstate New York, has to cut off her past, changes her name to Lydia Tar. Uh Clearly, you know, doesn't really give a shit about her family that she grew <laughs> up with to establish herself as a leading composer, right? Ultimately, this comes to nothing. She has to exile herself anyway. Like, there's these, it, like... It's interesting that... I mean, Go- goose. here's the thing about this movie is, like, there's a lot of keys to it, and Gustav Mahler's Fifth Symphony is one of them, which is the central, like, piece, which is, I love that, like, so I much. I mean, that is, these are fascinating tidbits to be dropping here. Um, it's, I I think it's very interesting, and also sort of really funny that, in, like, the way that the movie as a whole is really funny. It is, that, I, like, this is the funniest movie on this list, not named Jackass forever yes like i agree straight up it is a it is so funny it is really good um it's interesting i mean like you know talk about kubrick and like obviously obviously todd field has put in a lot of thought into this like the 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 kind of shit that you talk about does not really happen by accident yeah um and that's not even getting into like the the, you know different reality interpretations that we could get into um so Todd Field has clearly thought about this a lot, um, in of course the same way that Stanley Kubrick does. But in Kubrick's movies, then it's like I don't know if the stakes could be lower for for a movie with all of this hidden detail to figure out. Like the <laughs> did... the puzzle to solve here, it could not be it more like fucking insulated than fucking than Lydia Tar being a composer, right? Well, like this is like this is no like in The Shining then like you know people get killed and stuff. And in you know, eyes wide shut there's like fucking sex shit. There's like high level so- social elite sex trafficking going on. And in, Lydia, in Tarr, in Tar then it's the uh, <laughs> a fucking woman it depends. Composing where, more. It it depends. I think where your, what your, are what where you're positioning yourself, because, from Tar's perspective, like the stakes are as high as they could possibly well, be. Well, yeah, but she's not the one that put all these, these,
1: these pieces and put. She's these pieces she's merely like occupying. Yeah, she,
0: like she's <laughs> another piece in the in the puzzle here. But the fact that the puzzle is built. for this this image in particular (laughs) is really funny i think something that even like for you know the the reddit you know frame frame by frame hounds trying to solve the crack the code of tar it's like fucking what are they getting ultimately (laughs) gonna get out of this man (laughs) A, a, a deeper understanding of the world of classical musical composition <laughs> like right, i that, think we, i think we have to move on from tar that's so funny it is a. I think tar is a tremendous movie i think it is a fantastic and i desperately want to see it again just to like that's such a troll move to like put all <laughs> to, to leave uh, trails of breadcrumbs everywhere some leading to some shit that like the people that solve it will not care about at all it is so (laughs) awesome it is it is an awesome awesome movie that i honestly think like if anything is maybe being under like um underrated by a lot of people um no tar is an awesome awesome movie that i really want to see again and yeah is any given day could probably be my number one of 2022 All right, all right. Take us away. What's your number one? One A here again. You know, spent all that time talking about tar and fablemans. Well, maybe fablemans jumps up on on a particular day. But for now, what I have here is the novelist's film. One of two films by Hong Sang Soo, Korean master. I'm unfamiliar. I was gonna. I. This is why I fucking said earlier. For all you, Check all you Korean. marathon listeners, Zach said he loves Korean movies. I do. He's. He hasn't even seen the best <laughs> Korean directors, Hong Sang Soo. Unfortunately, this is not going to be as quick, brisk to the point as I think. You may want it to be, <laughs> um because this requires a bit of setup on Hong Sang Soo and his whole. Well, shit, his give whole it to me. I don't know anything. Hong Sang Soo, he's been cooking for since like the, the late nineties, um, and yeah, that's about it. No, <laughs> <laughs> so he has a very particular. And he's never. I mean, like you know, he, Bong Jun Ho, Park Chan Wook, uh who else like we chang dong like they these guys there's a, there's a crop of like contemporary korean filmmakers that have achieved some level of crossover american success um hong sang Soo is not one of those he is forever doomed to be a very specialized interest of certain film aficionados perverts um perverts what have you and mostly because Hong Sang-soo makes movies that nothing really exciting happens in ever and he makes the same movie probably twice a year going on i mean he's made he's probably averaged two movies a year for the past decade um excuse me certain i mean one of the most prolific filmmakers out there right now also insane batting average too he's hitting you know he's knocking him out excuse me jesus i'm getting indigestion (laughs) talk about hong sang su Uh, (laughs) um but no he has a very particular style that he's developed style and subject matter that he has developed over the past 25 years or so however long that he's been making movies where it scenes play out in long static shots in just, like, conversations, usually over, like, alcohol or food, um, punctuated occasionally by, like, Zooms. And it's a very low-budget low style. It's not, you know, we're... It's very casual, I think, is one of the big appeals of Hong Sang-soo, is that I can just, like, throw... There was a stretch last year. I watched a lot of song, Hong Sang-soo movies last year, like, a dozen or so, and have a bunch of downloads. Uh probably shouldn't say that, like <laughs> but whatever. They they never fucking play in theaters anyway. So um I watched a bunch of Hong Sang Su movies last year and there was a stretch, probably like a week or two, where I was like just thinking, like, I don't really want want to watch any movie right now except for fucking a Hong Sang Su movie. Like I just gotta like settle in and watch, you know, eighty, ninety minutes of you know, the same actors talking to each other in slightly different situations. <laughs> and it's it's just like the thing with him is I think that your appreciation of his work is cumulative. So like I have The Novelist film right now as my top movie of 2022. I think I would not recommend to somebody that's like, "Hey, what's the best movie of the year?" And I I would I would probably point them towards the Fablemans or Crimes of the Future or Avatar or something first before seeing the novelist film just because there's a lot of baked in knowledge that is kind of needed to really really appreciate it a lot of it is in Hong's stylistic tendencies right like if you sit down if I, I tell you oh yeah this movie is the best of the year and you sit down and it's you know 90 minutes of you know, one-take scenes of people just, like, sitting around tables and talking, then you'll probably be like, what the fuck is he... This guy... <laughs> but what is he talking about? Um, but if you've seen, like, a bunch of Hong Sang-soo movies, then you will be able to appreciate the finer elements of it, the the nuances. This one is, I think, exposed slightly differently than a lot of his... It's shot in black and white, um, like some of his other digital uh actually i think i don't know i haven't seen too many of his like um, shot on film movies but like a lot of some of his digital ones are in black and white too this is is something that he's employed somewhat frequently but it it's you know exposed a little differently it's a little overexposed and shot which is like adds an interesting new visual wrinkle to the equation right we still got you know the camera's still sitting in place and there's a, still some zooms and some pans left and right and you know it, it, i say this shit and it sounds like <laughs> like the most basic like yeah, yeah. Really look look if if the camera ever moves in a hong sang su movie then i'm gonna like flip the fuck out <laughs> i'm like holy shit and you could wa you watch a movie by almost literally any other director <laughs> And it, that's just, <laughs> like, a basic part of, like, the toolkit. But, again, because, like, I've watched, you know, 10, 15 years worth of Hong Sang-soo movies, then it's, like, yeah, these, like, elements, they have developed an added an added weight, an added significance to them. Um, and that's something that, like, if you're just coming to this movie, then, like, you're not going to have. The other thing that this movie really has, which, I mean, like, there's something at the end of this that, just, like, blows the fucking doors off of it. Yeah, I, I was, like, slack-jawed, like, holy shit, I cannot believe that this is, like, in the movie. Um, the other thing that, you know, familiarity breeds, the, the other thing that this familiarity with will benefit is the more recent relationship between Hong Sang-soo and Kim Min-hee, who is, uh, she i believe first starred in his 2015 movie uh called right now wrong then which is also great um and this they became hong and kim became sort of in a hot topic in korea for a little bit because it was revealed that hong was having an affair with kim and i believe is currently still in like a legal battle with his wife to be granted a divorce um but he's him and kim have since worked on almost every movie since from that point together they've made a lot of his movies even before that point are about like filmmakers and from that point on have become even more like biographical whether about himself and his own relationship with kim or about kim and her the sort of fallout of her relationship with Hong. and she's an outstanding performer also should just be said she's been great in his films um and she plays a supporting character in the novelist film here who is the subject of the eponymous novelist film at the end and it, it's such a very it's it's like so jarring because it's shot in a way that hong films are never shot like i just you know spent describing how hong movies generally look the film that the novelist in this film ends up making at the end like it is like handheld camera it's in color the rest of the movie's in black and white um it's insane to like watch you know like a hong sang su movie and it's kind of it's also like the most like you know a lot of his films are metatextual about sort of himself and about his line of work and his relationships and things like that but they rarely ever cross over in like explicit ways and this movie that appears at the end of the film i hate having to you (laughs) there needs to be an easier way to refer to it but (laughs) there's there's unfortunately not yeah the novelist film that appears at the end uh is like the a, a pretty explicit like crossover between like the fictional diegetic world and like Hong Sang-soo and Kim Min-hee in the real world and it's like really like heartfelt and like it's the most like in what way is it explicit well because like you hear his voice oh yeah how do you know it's his? Because it's a male voice. And the novelist in the film is a woman. And he oh. says, I love you to her. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, it's fucking crazy. And I was, I was like, like, stunned by it. I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful moment. And like, the whole movie is sort of just about, like, the, the novel, the novelist of the title, the main character is played by Lee Hyung, um, who is sort of a more frequent more recent frequent collaborator of Hong's starting I think last year um but she's already been in like three of his movies um and her whole she like ends up you know going to this smaller town I think I don't remember if it's in Seoul or not um but you know she ends up sort of like getting away from the the working life the uh the busy like artist's life. She's like trying to slow down a little bit, which is reflective, really, of Hong's this recent later period of Hong's filmmaking. There's a much slower pace to it. His movies are less sort of caustic than they used to be. Um, they used to be uh, it. They used to be very male centric, male focused, and particularly on the the embarrassments of masculinity um in romantic pursuits uh there's a of of like hong admirers then there's you know always a sort of feeling that like oh this is this is like a hong protagonist this is like a hong man right and that that car- that designation carries a certain weight to it that is not <laughs> not positive um but recently, then he's focused more on women in his films. He's and it, his movies have become less like overtly comedic. They've become more uh, content in their feeling more like they're already casual, but they're more, I guess, passive in the in the outlook that they sort of have. And there's a there's a contentment to just like letting life move around you to not be caught up in, like, sort of, imi- or the material pursuits of, you know, work and so-and-so things, to be just, like, sort of... Uh, um, there's, like, a pursuit of, like, grace, I think, in the novelist film and in Hong's more recent stuff that I think is, like, really, really worthwhile to... for And, like, really kind of uplifting to see again because like his earlier stuff is not very uh it's pretty i don't want to say toxic because like that feels i feel like that gives a wrong impression impression but it's like more cynical more a little bit more mean-spirited to it and like not wrongfully so right a lot of the characters that he writes in those movies are Deeply, deeply shitty
1: <laughs>
0: desert, and worthy of scorn. Um, but the move away from that kind of mode of operating is has like really revealed some, I think, wonderful results. And the novelist film is is not the most recent movie. It, there's already been a more recent movie this year that he's made, <laughs> but it, it, I just don't think it's had he's a machine <laughs> he is look well, this came out in like february i think or this came out this hit um berwin i think film festival in like february and he had a movie ready for new york in uh september or october <laughs> or wherever it was so he's probably gonna have two more ready in 2023 and uh i'm gonna love him <laughs> i i'm curious to see where if he continues along this sort of line of like simplification and sort of a greater greater sense of like peace i guess so yeah okay the novelist film jake's movie of the year 2022 um okay so my number one or 1a i guess if you're if you want if you prefer is after sun directed by charlotte wells i have not seen. this jake has not seen it you should you should watch this movie um after sun is a somewhat challenging movie to talk about uh for a couple reasons i will say that i saw this movie twice this is one of the only movies this might be the only movie on my list that I saw twice. And the first time... Or Jackass? I only saw Jackass once. Ooh. In theaters. I will say straight up, this movie is a heartbreaker. <laughs> this is a powerful, emotionally devastating movie, if you allow it to be. Um, it is a powerful sort of uh... uh gut punch um the first time watching it i was downtown it was a pretty empty theater i think there was like two other people <coughs> and i spent a while of the movie well okay i'll get to that but i i had a i would say delayed response to the movie i i walked out of the theater and i was like that was really really good and then on the bus ride home i found myself getting choked up thinking about it <laughs> which i wasn't in the theater but it was a very delayed response as some residual uh ideas sort of started settling in and started dawning on me and that was my first time watching it and the second time i watched it i watched it at home i pirated it sorry everybody (laughs) um i watched it at home here in the living room and i was a fucking mess watching it the second time i I, and i already i mean i already you know i knew the story beats but i was a a absolute fucking mess watching it the second time <laughs> um it is a charlotte wells this is her first movie um she's a scottish director it is a movie about a the a father and daughter who are on vacation in turkey they're spending we don't i don't know how long they're there it's sort of told as a well okay that's kind of just the plot like that's basically it okay. um paul mescal is the actor who plays the father in this case uh callum and frankie corio plays the daughter sophie um I will get to Paul Miskol in a minute, but they're both fantastic. Um, that's kind of it. It's, this is a movie about the this father and daughter on vacation together in Turkey, and that's kind of, narratively, there's not really much else going on. It is more or less just kind of a, a reconstruction of Charlotte Wells' memories, basically, that this is like very much based on her own father and her own life. Her own experiences with her father. Um. And a lot of the movie is told through, or there's not a lot, but like there are parts of the movie that are told through like home video um sequences of uh Callum like dancing on the hotel balcony or whatever, or Sophie with the camera by the pool the hotel or wherever they are excuse me told through a lot of like home videos that are being watched by present day sophie um who is more or less acting as the stand-in for charlotte wells the director that's kind of like the framing of it is Mm. like this woman is watching old home videos from this vacation with her father from when she was a child when she was 11 years old um there's some really there's some really clever stuff with the fucking home video stuff It start the movie opens with a um a video of sophie leaving leaving the vacation she's at the airport she's waving goodbye to her father and it kind of freezes on that and you see this like reflected like silhouette stand up and you're like holy shit I'm watching this in a TV. It's it's a crazy (laughs) moment. Like, (laughs) there's there's another shot that is like pretty fucking jaw dropping later on, where Sophie is recording her father in the hotel room, and we're watching it, the video feed as it's playing on the television set in the t in the hotel room. There's a mirror behind it. We can see in the mirror, Callum. We can see in the video, the video that sophie is shooting of her father callum that actually did remind me of another thing from fablemans actually okay Would you, do we care if i divert a little bit sure go for it they uh, you know going back to the fablemans and the sort of the terrible bird artist's burden that it sort of presents there's a scene the scene where the parents are announcing their divorce to their kids or i don't even know if they're getting divorced but they're just like splitting up um then it's from sam's pov and he like looks he's like watching them and like the the quality of the image is different like noticeably different and like the camera like turns to like look at a mirror and sam is like in, like in his in his mind's eye he's like got a movie camera like, and is like recording this like family scene for it which is just one of the one of the more like disturbing i think <laughs> things that the fable means is like suggesting but go on that's that just reminded me of that so this is just a, an image worth i guess describing because it really is fucking jaw-dropping is they're in the hotel room and sophie is filming her father and like asking him like interviews questions and we see the camera is static it's not moving it's focused on the tv set that is playing the feed of what sophie is filming and we also see in the mirror callum um and sophie's like uh you're 31 they're they're irish so they have like a fun accent out and she's like you're 31 and she's 11 um it's your 31st birthday dad um like what'd you do for your birthday when you were 11 and callum's like turn that camera off sophie like i don't really want to talk about this and she's like okay it's off and but she just like puts it away and he's like i can see it's still on like i can see it on the tv <laughs> and she's like okay and she's like what'd you do for your 11th birthday and he's like i don't really want to talk about it sophie she's like i'm not recording i'll record it in my mind and he sits on the bed and we then the, the tv goes from showing the feed of what sophie's seeing till we see the reflection of callum in the tv where he just was as he's sitting on the bed like alone and we also see him detached in the mirror it's an unbelievable fucking shot um <laughs> and uh and that's a very sad moment that then follows <laughs> This is a very sad movie. <laughs> okay. This is a deeply fucking... There is a. a... I, I don't know how she did it, but from even the first time watching it, the first time watching it, I will say you... You get a feeling of just deep, deep, deep melancholy like very early on in the way that the father and daughter interact with each other where Callum seems to be trying his best to be a good father and Sophie is understanding of that and we get glimpses of a dad who is unable to be everything that he wants to be um basically and a person who is struggling with something indeterminate um whether there's a lot of ambiguity about it we don't know by the end and that's one thing watching it the first time that you might be like well i'm waiting for the shooter drop i'm waiting for the big fucking like reveal is callum gay is he you know does he kill himself (laughs) like whatever like like what's going on with this guy like and we don't know like it ends and you don't know but the one thing it ends and you don't know what's wrong with callum but you are 100% certain that sophie never saw him after this holiday that this is the last time they were ever together and that charlotte wells never saw her father after whatever this holiday was either um you are 100% million percent certain there's not any dramatic like, you know funeral scene or like no phone call at the end of like oh my god sophie your father's dead or anything like that you don't see Anything with that, but you are one hundred percent certain that these two never—that this was the last time they ever spent together—is um is that the case? Like, in reality, like, IRL, yeah. Do we, do we know what happened? <laughs> I don't. Okay. And I don't know. I don't know if Charlotte Wells does. Like, because the whole thing—the whole like real fucking pain of this movie—is it's from Sophie's perspective. It's from the child's perspective. And the real deep, deep pain of this movie is attempting to grapple with the idea that you don't know your father or your parents. Or specifically, that you don't know what they are struggling with outside of them being your parent. There's a lot of, like, little moments where... There's a moment early on, like, it's, like, a ten-second scene where we see Callum, like, alone in the bathroom with, like, a towel, like, tight around his head. And, like, at first you don't know what you're looking at, but then you see, like, the mouth, like, the breathing, sort of, like, the towel, like, sort of, like, going in and out of, his, like, his mouth. And there's a later scene where it's his birthday, and Sophie, like, rounds up these, like, other tourists to, like, sing happy birthday, and Callum is, like, on top of these, like, ruins and he's staring down and you can't really read his face you're like he's like he's sort of sort of looks stunned that his daughter's doing this for him and it fades like very softly into him like maybe naked but like just sobbing like in the hotel room oh no like and you just see like his bare back like convulsing like just sobbing and there's like these little indicators throughout that like something is Something is very wrong with my father, and I don't know what it is, but it, it, I mean, it ended his life, like, in some way or another. It ended, it ended our relationship at the very least. I think the implication is that he probably does kill himself. Um, and it's devastating. (laughs) It, It is a fucking absolutely devastating, uh subject matter a lot of the movie is like there's very little dialogue in the movie it's a beautiful looking movie in this like sun-baked fucking turkish resort with other like you know early uh, early aughts like british fucking tourists and their all their like tacky clothing and bad haircuts and shit like that like (laughs) like it's of a very specific time and place and it looks amazing for most of the time and excuse me but there's there's this just melancholy this that just soaks in until it's unbearable until you want something dramatic to happen because you just want it to be free and it doesn't. The most we get there is are throughout the movie these little scenes of present day Sophie, the one who's watching these home videos, they're sort of like surrealized like it's not actually happening, of course. But of her in this like strobe lit like nightclub rave environment. Where her we see flashes of Callum uh dancing. Like sort of just like uncontrollably dancing. And we get a couple of scenes of those interspersed throughout. And we see as Sophie sort of approaches her father in this environment. And the best scene of any movie this year, one of the best scenes I've seen. In a long time, maybe the greatest needle drop I've ever fucking seen in a movie. Martin Scorsese, Eat Your Heart Out. Um, Under Pressure, the song by Queen and David Bowie, <laughs> is completely changed for me now <laughs> for this movie. After this, there's this point Wait in their trip, presumably. Time is actually not really very clear. It, the timeline is sort of all jumbled up. Where Callum's, like come on Sophie let's dance like I love to dance you know I do like he dances throughout that's like sort of a recurring thing and they start dancing and we see cut with the the scenes of Sophie and Callum on vacation dancing we see a prolonged nightclub scene of present-day Sophie screaming at her father we can't hear anything obviously the music is all we hear is under pressure like, screaming at her father, and, like, yelling at him, and he seems to be oblivious on, like, he's out of control, it seems like, and it leads to them, her embracing him, and, like, holding on to him, and crying, and then letting go, and he's gone, and it's cut between that, and Sophie and Callum dancing on vacation, and the music hits the point where um, what's the lyrics, fuck, um, this is the last dance, like, hits, like, right as, like, you know, the fucking, the, the final, like, David Bowie, like, verse, um, hits, like, at this, like, absolutely fucking devastating moment, like, it is, that is the moment where you're, like, oh my god, I'm fucking sobbing. Like, I am bawling, like, watching this. And it's, like, a total, like, you know, that's, the magic of movies is that fucking moment. <laughs> but, like, it is a absolute fucking powerhouse moment that has, like, fully changed that song for me. I, I Forever, like, that song was just like, oh, this is a fun pop song or whatever. And now I'm like, this is such a deeply fucking sad song. Like, <laughs> like and now that, and that movie has done that to me. And... The movie does not work if Paul Mescal was not giving probably like, you know, top two performance of the year. It's either him or Kate Blanchett. I've never seen anything with Paul Mescal in it before. Well he's a very you know, young actor. He is. He's a very young actor. Has not been in a whole lot of stuff that is He has tremendous uh he's made tremendous choices if this is like his first standout role, um, because he is unbelievable in this. Cal like, Callum could be, like, a totally cryptic, like, n- like, frustrating character, where you just, like, what's wrong with you? Like, <laughs> like, what's, what's wrong with you? Like, who are you? But Mescal plays him so fucking, like, just, he it, it just hurts, man. like, <laughs> There's, like, this clear, like, tenderness and, like, love underneath, like, everything that he's doing for his daughter. But, like, there is a whole lot of, like, pain there that he can't, you know. Sophie's 11 years old. Like, it's not like he can be, like, dad's depressed or, like, dad's... There's a a reading that he's gay and, like, I think that's partially supported by some of the things in the movie. I don't know, but I don't know for sure. But it's like, you know, he can't really talk to his daughter about this shit. He has to clearly keep these things inside, and Mescal plays it, like, as, like, heartbreaking as, like, it needs to be. Like, it is a absolutely fucking tremendous performance from him. Um, the movie's fucking sad. <laughs> it's, uh... It's a, the fact it, for how personal it is, is, like, really, really, really stunning. For this being, like, her first movie, like, her and, I would probably put my fucking house on Charlotte Wells and Paul Mescal being, like, significant, like, artists for, like, a long time in, in movies, um, just based on this alone.
1: In the pictures.
0: Um, for a debut this is an absurdly fucking good debut movie like holy shit for it being this personal is another level like of fucking i don't know talent of vision ability pain um it is really it is something this is a a extremely powerful movie that like I heard was sad whenever I before I star started watching it, but like it's not just that it's sad. I don't wanna make it seem like, you know, two dimensional either because it is like most of the movie is like very sweet. Like it's the father and daughter on vacation and she's like doing a coming of age thing and like it's it's mostly very sweet what's happening, but it just creeps up on you and into something that is like really, really very memorable but very like like I don't know, powerful emotionally. Um, if you have any, <laughs> uh, what do I want to say? Any unresolved uh, issues with your father? This is <laughs> probably Vietnam. <laughs> In terms of you know abandonment, Holocaust, or this is ordeal. yeah, this is a this is a n- nuclear event of a movie <laughs> but it's i mean it's so like it's just handled so like like it doesn't it doesn't wallow in this sort of like sadness because like i said like for pretty much like you don't see anything like happen to callum like there's no like dramatic moment of tragedy that happens on screen that happens off screen as we we are led to believe Um, it's all suggestion and, like, implication, and, uh, but it, I would say, you know, there's a lot of filmmakers who probably could not make it that potent if they were just working on, like, you know, basically, like, very little dialogue, and, you know, basically no plot, (laughs) like... (laughs) The fact that it works as well it does, as it does is really, 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 really amazing. And uh, God damn, does it work? It is a powerhouse fucking movie and powerhouse performance from Paul Miskol. He's He is absolutely amazing. And Frankie Coro is awesome, too. Great child acting. How often do you see that? Look, in the a... fair. Anna Cobb, one of the best performances of the year. Yeah, After Sun is a very, very special movie, I think, and it is my number one. Although, if I watch Tar again, I may change my mind. This was not my number one until I saw it the second time. The first time I was like, because the first time I think I got too wrapped up in being like, oh, what's gonna happen to Calum? Like, oh, like is something, something's gonna happen to him? Like, I know it, I feel it, and it never does. And the second time, it was like. Yeah, I know. Just let it rock. Yep. You know, you know, this is a movie you just let rock, let it roll over you, and it will uh, beat the fuck out of you. Well, it's good to know. I, I imagine that if I were to watch it, then I would be probably yeah. caught up in trying to yeah. figure out what is happening as well. Yeah, I so would say... It's it- nice that I don't, I should not go in with that expectation. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. It's it's a really great movie. That uh yeah, is gonna make you very sad. <laughs> but also hell of a lot of young talent on it, so that's exciting. It's like a- the Memphis Grizzlies. After Sun, that is the movie of twenty twenty two. The Memphis Grizzlies of uh of movies. <laughs> yeah. From this year. <laughs> I could see Paul Miskal getting a actor nomination at the oscars i doubt he does but and i mean this is it's not like this is like an oscar movie either like it's just not that type but he would deserve it he's he's fantastic in this. um yeah is that gonna do it are we done well, i hope so it's almost 10 o'clock and i mean yet. me neither we were we were thinking of doing two podcasts <laughs> i said that? let's keep it under 90 minutes yeah, hundred ninety minutes away. <laughs> <laughs> my God, it's okay, stop us. Well, okay, before we kill again, listeners, we all know these ones go long, so fucking deal with it. We'll be back with the equally long, probably music one, <laughs> and uh, coming up next. So that is 2022 movies. Mine is my favorite of 2022 is After Sun, and Jake's is the novelist's film. So check them out and support uh your local James Cameron
1: exhibition. Yes. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.